Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of all your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And with us this week, uh, we are continuing our second guest month. That's right, yes. folks. Our second guest month here in October. A uh, somewhat spooktacular guest <laughs> month at that. Uh, we have our friend Amanda with us. Hello, Amanda. Hello. I am Amanda. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, and we have... You, you picked quite the interesting movie uh, for us to watch this week. Uh, what are we watching? Or what are we going to be discussing, I should say? Okay. We are going to be discussing the fantastic 1998 film Practical Magic starring Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. And it is a masterpiece. Uh, and But it has a very low rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But I think it's an excellent film. And I'm super excited to talk about it with you. Hell yeah. Yeah. I had heard of this film, but I like I really had no idea what the perception of it was. I was just like, oh yeah, there, there's that, that that witch movie with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. And then when you sent it to me, and they were like, you were shocked that it had such a low rating, and I kind of was too. I was just like, oh, people like this movie. I thought people really like this movie, um, and people do, and we'll we'll talk about that. People do, mm-hmm. normal people do, yeah. but critics really hated this movie. Yes, they did. Out. I have a theory about that too, which I'm gonna tell you later, but. Um, I will say on the Wikipedia page, um, ever reliable Wikipedia page for all of our movies that we do, um, the the words cult classic are a hyperlink for this movie, uh, and that's usually a good sign. Like when we when we pick movies and and I do some preliminary research on them. Yeah, um, and I think it even had like a citation, like it had a, <laughs> a cult classic citation official, to like some article on like there, Hollywood yeah. Reporter or something like that. I read several articles uh, in preparation today about because again I. This is a huge disconnect because I remember this movie positively as a child and I remember watching it with other friends. And I also know that it is a movie that is remembered positively by by other friends now. Like it's something I've talked about with with people. And uh, and I and I was really surprised that it was not reviewed well. And then so then I read articles about it today about like I was trying to figure out like why it had gotten poor reviews in the past. And then I read several articles about like how it's a cult classic now. And I didn't realize again that it was. I didn't realize it was a cult classic. I thought it was just a movie that people liked, uh, but it's apparently special for for some reason. I don't know. What makes yeah. something a cult classic? What do we What do we say that that that's is? That's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I think that's one of those terms that's very it's very gray and it kind of yeah. means different things to different people. Because um, you have things like Rocky Horror or like Little Shop of Horrors where mm-hmm. it's supposed to be camp. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like planned that way from the beginning. Yeah. But then you have things like, um, like I think the most obvious example is like the room, where mm-hmm. it kind of was just like a total clusterfuck, and it just yeah people latched onto it, and there, I don't know, like it, it goes back and forth. Um, I my understanding, like how I would describe it to like a little kid, is like a movie that most people don't like, but on, like the the small amount of people who do like it, like really love it. Okay. Like, right. like that's how I would describe it. Mm. So I would yeah. sort of like dispute... it's, it's niche, right? Like these films are niche to yeah. to a regard. I would, I would, I would dispute that for this movie, just because to me, I don't. It's mm. it's one that I, it's like when I think about cult classics for like Halloween, I think about like Hocus Pocus, for example, is one that like I've been to several Hocus Pocus sure. themed yeah. trivia nights, and uh, and it's like a you know, it's <laughs> it's something that yeah. people 
Yeah, it's a big, it's a staple of the season. And this movie for me is a movie that I enjoy and like thought to watch the other day because of Halloween. Um, But I don't, I know that there, or I have never seen Trivia Nights for it. And it's a movie that just like for me has always been like a good movie. Uh, And I know that other people think it's a good movie, but it's not like, I don't know. I feel funny about cult classic for this, but I still think it's good. I think, but I, but maybe that's what it is too. Cause with cult classics, I feel like there's something where everyone knows it's kind of bad, but we love it anyway. And this one I just think is good. I just like earnestly think it's a good movie. And like, maybe that's because <laughs> of nostalgia. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's all. <laughs> but yeah, we will, we will think we'll figure that out when we, okay, <laughs> good idea. Good here. idea. Well, um, just one more thing about cult classic. I, 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 you know, I, I, for me, as when we were starting this podcast, we had said, like, oh, we don't want to actually, like, do a film that's a cult classic. And, like, when I think of a cult classic, I think Hocus Pocus is, like, a perfect example. Yeah. Um, or something like Rocky Horror Picture Show, where, like, I think there's a perception that a majority of people really don't like these movies. But then, like, if you think about it, like Amanda was saying, there's trivia for Hocus Pocus and there's also also always the you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show shadow casts so these things are incredibly popular actually like what what so much makes it a cult classic what does that even really mean when these things now have become you know they're almost actually not niche anymore like they're just like a part of film culture um so what does it mean like, what does cult mean in that? Does it just mean, like, okay, a I, cult of people who like a thing? I don't... It's such a weird term. I've always never had a much uh, much love for the term cult classic. Like, is it just... Should it just so, be a classic at this point? Like, I don't know. Like, are these films just classic? Well, ever-reliable ever Wikipedia and our ever-reliable live-action uh, podcast research uh, does come in, come in handy here. Um, so, Wikipedia gives the, the working definition of... Um, a cult classic is a movie that has a, a, a cult following, and cult following means um, a piece of media where a group of fans who are highly dedicated to a piece of artwork in various media. So I, I think it, yeah, the I most useful barometer is like the devotion of fans, regardless of how many of them there are. Right. Because oh, like right. I, I think you could consider Star Wars a cult classic, but it's like a very widely it's spread a big cult, cult classic. Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Whereas something like, um, I don't know, like the other, like the other one I mentioned, like uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, that, that yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty niche, but it has just as uh, feverish devotion among its fans right. as Star Wars does. So it's like the quality of the fanaticism and not the quantity of the, the depth fanaticism. Of the yeah. fanaticism, yeah, the, de- the depth of it. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I think okay. I think so that then, works for for our purposes here. Yeah, I think so too. And even with that definition, I would dispute cult classic for this movie, which is not to say that I don't think it's a great movie, yeah. but it's also like I've never seen anyone dress in costume as any of these characters. Like it just to me, it just seems like yeah. a regular good movie. But maybe it's a regular good movie to people who like <laughs> were in the fourth grade in 1998, and like that's like <laughs> we were maybe I'm maybe the target audience. Like maybe that's I was just the right age for this um yeah yeah, yeah. i do wonder um, if it's because like i wonder if we we consider it a cult or wikipedia and the internet at large considers it a cult classic because like it didn't do well at the box office and didn't have so much of a critical reception so then it found love more in well i guess it mean it didn't find love in audiences in 1998 because well, it did so poorly at the box office but that could also be marketing that could that be could, yeah I, so it's also know, I, I think I, few th- the few theaters it even played in or something yeah. like that i also think it's i think it's pg-13 too which i think 
Um, and part of like oh, I would not have yeah. gone to see this in theaters, but I I watched it on VHS at a like a sleepover party. Sure. Yep. Um, and and so I think and I think maybe I wonder if also part of the reason it's called cult classic is because like the the fans are women my age who then grew up and like then wrote about it on BuzzFeed in an article that I read today, uh, like, it, you know, about this movie that came out 20 <laughs> years ago. But like people are now saying like, I like this and maybe we liked it all along, but also like people like we were kids before. So like, I think, I do think that this is like specific kind of to, uh, like maybe millennial women. Like, I think that there's like a specific like people that like sure. this movie. And yeah, I feel yeah. like maybe that's part of it is like, uh, nobody knew that anyone liked it. Uh, because there were not published articles about it until later when we were publishing articles on the internet, you know? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. what you said there, home media, I think, really factors mm-hmm. into these things. And home media yeah. is something we don't talk about enough on this show because it's harder to get that kind of data. You yeah. know, obviously, we don't do like a right. ton of deep dive research here because I'm really fucking lazy. Um, but <laughs> I mean, we're, we have we both have full time yeah, jobs. We have both full time like jobs and other things. Um, but uh, but home media sales probably for this movie were probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine. You know, these yeah, are big name yeah. stars. People like these. These were you know Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, top of their game in 1998. Yeah. Yep. Excellent um, performances you know, just in the this subject movie matter, as well, Like I you think. said, very similar to Hocus Pocus stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in keeping with that, I guess I can just list the rest of the cast. Uh, oh yeah. Really quick, oh yeah. Quickly now. Um, so yeah, Practical, Practical Magic <laughs> uh, came out in 1998, directed by Griffin Dunn, um, adapted from the book by Alice Hoffman. And uh, the prominent cast here is Sandra Bullock, uh, Nicole Kidman, Stockard Channing, Diane West. Diane oh, Weiss. Here we go. Uh, Gorin. V- yeah, Diane Di- Weiss. You're Diane right. Weiss. That is very important. And she's a, <laughs> like she's how, a revelation. Uh, I love her in every movie and she's excellent in this one too. Keep going. Sorry. Yes. No, no. <laughs> I'm, that's, that's why you're here for this one. Um, <laughs> Okay, and, and this one's gonna be interesting. This this guy, uh, Goran Viznik, Viznik. Sure. I think that's a good guess. That guy, um, Aiden, yeah, uh, Aiden Quinn, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, Alexandra Artrip, Artrip. Wow, what's up? Can't can't pronounce the names today. <laughs> sure. Alexandra Artrip, <laughs> Mark Fierstein, Margot Martindale, and Chloe Webb. Uh, so yeah, quite quite a couple of um, either big names at the time or names that would go on to be big. Yeah. Um, notably, Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. She got nominated for something for this. Oh, really? I saw. Yeah. She was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was better than the she, other little yeah, girl. Yeah, just some definitely. like emerging young performer thing. Um, I, I was at first when I saw Margot Martindale because the first maybe two thirds of the movie she doesn't really do much, and then she, you know her role really picks up in in the the final the you know the third act of the film. And I was like, "Are you guys just gonna waste Margot Martindale?" But then she she gets lines and she does <laughs> things. I was I was glad to see yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, she gets one so really yeah, good line at the end. Movie... Yeah. Like the one where she goes like, "Let's clean house." I remember like listening to it this time and being like, "Oh, I really like that growl." She's like a good like gravelly like sound with it. It's, yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Um. But yeah. So this movie, as we said, didn't do too well at the box office. It only made uh sixty eight point three million against its budget of seventy five million. Oof. Um. So not as bad as some of the other flops we've discussed, but uh, no. certainly not certainly not profit. Um. The disparity here on the tomato meter is is it's pretty much what i expected uh 22 percent 
for the critic uh, critics tomato meter, seventy three percent for the audience score. Um, and that maybe that, that's a hallmark of a cult classic. That's right? exactly like, what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I I think um, the it's kind of a misnomer term, and people get people people assume things about the term cult classic because like given our supposed like depth of uh, an intensity of devotion if if that's the qualifier for cult classic i think a lot of people don't consider that the qualifier they consider it like audiences loved it but critics hated it that, i think that's like a common idea that muddles the term yeah um, i would agree and it's that it's that kind of disparity that makes that that makes this kind of uh spread here um or what makes people apply this kind of sp- that term to this kind of spread mm-hmm. yeah is now yeah. a good time to to say my um my theory about why the critics did not like it? Yeah, for sure. Yes, perfect time. Okay, <laughs> I I have a feeling I didn't do the um the legwork like the research to know this for sure, but I have an idea that perhaps the people who panned the movie who were writing about movies mostly at the time were largely men. I wonder if that has something to do with it, not to be like yeah. that girl. Uh, but I think most of the people that I know that love this movie, and today when I was reading articles about it, um, I read a lot of articles that were way in favor of this film, Both, and it was a lot of it because of nostalgia, again, but it was also they were all written by women. And then I read another um, later review of this, like a 2018 article about it that, like, uh, so a person who is like maybe the right age, but like and, and reviewing it later when we know that people love this movie, um, but still was like dubious right. about it. And it was another guy. And it just made me wonder if um, the people who don't like this movie are men, because this is a movie largely about women. Um, all of the and like the male characters are either side characters or like the bad guy uh, and all the compelling people in this film pretty much are are strong, cool women. Uh, which makes me think that it would speak more to to women. And so perhaps part of the reason is because the men who were, or the people who were like employed to write about movies uh, were dudes like in 1988, like that could be part of it. Also, there was a curse placed on this movie. Did you hear about that? Did anyone find that on the internet? Cause I read about that. No. Too. No. Um, yeah. Um, so Griffin <laughs> how, how Dunn, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Griffin Dunn had this woman um, be a consultant on the film, like a witch consultant to make sure that they were portraying things in a way that was, uh, you know, true to the actual like craft. And, uh, and then she sure. asked for more money at one point uh, and then was pl- displeased when they would not give her more money. She also wanted like a percentage of sales or something like that. Um, and Damn. then, yeah. And then they said, no, we cannot do this. Uh, and so then she cursed both the film and uh, Griffin Dunn himself. Apparently, and like that, I, I don't know, cursing is whatever. It's who knows if that's like legit, but, uh, but she like said it in like a voicemail and like, he like talked about feeling very creepy about it in this one article that I read, like a interview that he did with Vulture. He was like, I felt really <laughs> uncomfortable with it so much so that he like employed somebody to do like a cleansing ceremony, uh, on him, um, what? afterwards because, uh, he was very uncomfortable with how Damn. this woman had, had spoken to him. So, uh, so that's also a theory about why it did poorly. It was because of, uh, this curse that this lady put on the movie. Damn. And there's a line in the film later on that Aiden Quinn says, where he says like a curse is only a curse if you believe in it or something like that. And that was something that Griffin Dunn yeah, added yeah, yeah. after mm-hmm. this event had taken place. It was like something that he was like, <laughs> he wrote it like in response to this thing with this woman. Um, so <laughs> covered, like, trying to convince bases. himself. Yeah. Maybe, um, I think there, he was there's scared. another, 
there, there's another um, piece of evidence supporting that theory too. Um, so that like I, I just I mean I found this on IMDb last night, um, so I'll just read it here. After bad reactions at a test screening, composer Michael Nyman's score was rejected at the last minute. It was called too European sounding and obtrusive. It was replaced with one by Alan Silvestri, and the changes made so late that the soundtrack albums had al already been pressed. As a result, the first batch hit stores had all but two of the suites of themes from Nyman's score. A few weeks later, a new version of the CD with the same ISBN number was made, replacing Nyman's tracks with music by Silvestri. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, maybe Michael Nyman cast a musical <laughs> curse or something. Yeah. <laughs> like he worked with he worked with that that Wicca uh, woman to uh, <laughs> to also curse this film. Him and Alan Silvestri. I yeah, I also read that because I I like the music in this movie or I like the score. Um, and then I was not surprised to see that it was Al Alan Silvestri because he also did like Forrest Gump, which I remember really liking too, like the yeah. instrumental music in that also. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been humming yeah. it a bunch and, since uh, I watched it. I guess. Yeah, no, it's a good score. I mean, it, and it's really, he's a fitting composer for a movie like this. So yeah, he did Forrest Gump, but he's done like most of Robert Zemeckis' films. Yeah. I think if like all, all of them. them yeah. On his Wikipedia today when I saw them, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, he, yeah he has that vibe. Like, and this it's, movie kind of yeah, has this vibe. Yeah, very wistful and sort of. Yeah. We should also mention um, this movie was released on October 16th, 1998. So tomorrow tomorrow in 1998 yeah, yeah. Wow. folks we are recording on the wow. 15th of october yeah, yeah. that's so <laughs> that feels very important and special um, i like it a lot it's ma it's magical it's it's practically magic <laughs> um, it's, um but yeah i guess this uh this discussion of the soundtrack ties uh ties right into the beginning because we we get a little introduction and it's like i don't know back in the in the the puritan times like the like the yeah. 16 1600s 1700s when the country was first founded um they're the the community of of pilgrims or whatever are trying to hang a witch um and yeah the soundtrack right away it, it i think one of the first notes i have here is like oh the the soundtrack is is fun it feels like suitably like witchy and and not overly spooky but just fitting for um yeah. the the goings on and uh yeah it's <laughs> i did notice this immediately um I didn't I didn't hold this against the movie too much, but uh, it's definitely supposed to be in New England because it's like oh our we we get a narration right from the um and the, and we're as, as we're as we're introduced to the the characters like oh yeah our ancestors when they first came here when this country was founded I'm like okay it's old New England like Salem or something um, but it, lo it looks so much like the Pacific Northwest yeah. it does not look like it does not look like New England whatsoever yeah yeah I I agree with um, you but yeah, it is in fact in it's shot in Washington, right? Yeah. Yes, Washington. Yeah, uh, San, Ju San Juan Street, yes. Washington. I agree with you about that very much. Um, and But I will say that I also do think that this movie is pretty. And I think, um, and, and it kind of has the right vibe, even Definitely. though it's not like New Englandy. It still has kind of like a, it doesn't, it feels cold. It doesn't feel super warm, like when you watch it. And I think yep. that that's yeah. appropriate. Yes. I think the indoor spaces are right i think they're fitting for like i mean the inside of the house i think is a good look for like old new england houses um yeah. but yeah when i remember this movie i don't think about it. and like when i remember it as a child i don't remember like a connection from a new i grew up in massachusetts and like it doesn't feel like i don't remember like thinking to myself like oh we're in the same place which like usually i would if a movie took place like near my home you know um but at the same time i don't it doesn't take me out of it necessarily because I still think it's 
pretty. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, we, it, have, we have two New Englanders here. Two, two, two mass holes. Two Wait, mass did you grow up? Where did you grow up? <laughs> um, you can cut this part out if you want. Um, no, no, it's fine. Um, I mean, I don't live there anymore. Uh, around uh, in Chelmsford, right outside Lowell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, um, I grew up in Andover, so, basically, so like, I know exactly where that is. Yeah. Oh, damn. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> we is We were close. neighbors, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the book, basically, yeah. Um, the book is supposed to take place in Sudbury, which is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> like it's... I know. And, uh, and... Wow, Sudbury that's hilarious. Like You're the... right. Oh, that's so funny. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> very, very rural kind of, kind of bougie, bougie town. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Amanda, you are right. Like it, it has internal, the, the tone is internally consistent yeah. and it's appropriate. And that definitely trumps like, oh, well, it doesn't look like New England to me, you know. But right. you're right. I mean, but you're right yeah. that there's like some of it, maybe like some of the cliff. I feel like I think of cliffs kind of like I feel like there's like parts of it that like geographically look wrong. Yeah. But the colors yeah. are, are OK. The yes. colors are right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a weird thing to say. Yeah. And this, the th- cliff this right is... outside their house. I was like, mm, I don't think that's. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. I don't and think I, that's New so England. Right. <laughs> um, and this is this is such a stupid thing. But, like, the Lord of the Rings movies have this ingrained in my head because a lot of the shots, um, the ocean is on the left side of the fr- of the picture, like, of the frame. Yeah. Oh. Um, and in Lord of the Rings, they always, they, always, they always filmed the Fellowship moving from left to right to indicate east to west. And so, uh, like, when I... Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I'm sure there's a few shots that weren't shot like that, but, like, the majority of the shots were uh composed so that the ocean was on the left so i'm like okay that is that is the pacific ocean it's it's the pacific. West. <laughs> <laughs> that's really important i took a directing class in college yeah. uh and it was it was it was not film directing it was theater directing but uh but we talked a lot about like where placement on the stage uh kind of there's yeah, lots yeah. of things that kind of like indicate you know i'm sure that you've probably had the same kind of stuff at, at your school doing uh like film direction stuff but like yeah yeah definitely. um but yeah, but that that does matter, and it makes sense that you would that you would think that way. I don't personally, but that's just because I'm bad at geography and like don't think about things like that anyway in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just uh, an insufferable Lord of the Rings nerd, and <laughs> I did say uh, the Fellowship walks from, walks from east to west when I should have said they walk from west to east. So. Sure. Wow, damn. Also, wouldn't Mea have noticed. Culpa. Don't know You're any. Being, uh, uber pedant to yourself. <laughs> wow, that's great. Uh, but back back to the movie that we're actually talking sure, about, sure. Yes. Practical Magic. Wait, this, um, is, this isn't the, the third Lord of the Rings film. What are we talking? Yeah. What? No. Um. But yeah, I mean, they the the crowd of of witch burners. They try to hang the witch. Um. But she escapes because she has magic, obviously. Um. And we we get a little we get we get this voiceover from uh, who we come to to learn are the two witch aunts. Um. And they're saying how she was like. She was a rebel. She was like a free, free spirit. She, um, she. Wait, loves... I thought it's from um, Sandra Bullock's character's perspective. Who, who does the narration here? Because there's narration at the end that's Sandra Bullock. Uh, I don't remember, but I think right, it might be Sandra Bullock. I feel like I would remember if it was Diane Weist or Stalker Channing slash Rizzo from Greece, and I think it is Sandra Bullock. I think it's Sandra. I think she she bookends the film with that uh, makes more sense with the uh, sure. narration. Yeah. Yeah. And she's she that makes sense. She's talking to the next generation. She's talking yeah, to her yeah. Brothers, and she's so. talking about her childhood because that's what they get into next. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so the the witch ancestor she runs away to the island where she she lives and she she's pregnant and she casts a spell um, on the island, but like or, or like on her bloodline to like protect bloodline. them. Yeah, but because um, she 
hates and fears uh, the society that did that to her, um, it gets warped into a curse where any men who love any of her descendants uh, will just die sooner or later. So, fun fact, yeah. uh, the movie made that made the curse up. Um, in the book, there's not a curse on, like, the bloodline. There's just, uh, mm. there's still the element of, like, this, this Sally, the Sandra Bullock character, her husband dies. And I think that the family in general is, like, unlucky in love. But the whole thing with, like, the girls oh, um, okay. growing up and being like, I'm never going to fall in love and all that kind of stuff isn't about having to do with a curse at all. There's no curse. It's just that um, they see their aunts like doing all these like love spells for people. And that makes them be like, this is gross. I don't want to fall in love. Cause like it's stupid. And uh, oh. there's so many messy things. So, but the, so the movie made up the, this curse, which is like the central point of the film, but it's not in the book. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, it's a pretty big thing to just kind of throw in. Pretty, there. Pretty <laughs> it's big. Pretty I thought big, so yeah. too. Pretty central. Um, that's yeah. a thematic shift right there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. It makes sense, though. Like, the the idea that you're describing is very much like something you'd think that you'd read in a novel, right? Right. Like, you know, this, yep. these girls see this thing, and then therefore they get these 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 warped views on yeah. sexuality and romance. Yeah, you but have the in benefit movie, of inner like, dialogue. Oh, it's a curse. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, in a book offers you the, the that omniscient perspective of, like, yeah, we get to see what everyone is thinking, and we get to see yeah. the conclusions that they draw, and the movie has to, like, make it a little more concrete because it has to communicate it to you differently. So um, I get I get why they made that change. Yeah. I will say that I am, exactly. like, maybe a third of the way into the book, so I can't talk that much about, like, the other differences, but that was, like, a, a big one, and I can't. I, I don't know. There's the other thing about like how she made the spell for Aiden Quinn and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's in the book or not, but I bet you it's not. Cause it just seems like mm. the reason for the oh, spell is the curse. Probably not, I don't know. Right? So yeah. yeah, I'm curious to see. Right. I'll probably finish it. I'm not sure though. Anyway, keep going. Uh, but yeah, no, um, we're, we're kind of caught up to present day or before present day. There's another flashback. Yeah. It's um, like the seventies or something. Yeah. So the, the two main characters are, uh, Susan and Jillian. Sally. Um, Jesus Susan. Christ. Sally. Sally. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Who said Sue? Su- yes, I did. I watched it last night. Sally and Jillian. Um, Sally is Jillian is or Gillian? I forget. How it's, it's Jillian. Pronounced. She says Jillian, and I was really surprised that it was spelled with a it's G. It's Jillian. Mm-hmm. Huh, oh, because, I got yeah, one of them. She calls her Jillian. She calls her Jilly. Yeah, yeah, Jilly. yeah. Jilly Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. But yeah, Sa- Sandra is Sally. Uh, Nicole Kidman is um is Jillian, and they're. Kind of like the classic uh, contrasting sibling characters. One is um, more reserved and aloof. One's more kind of fiery and, and spontaneous. Yes, and brunette and redhead, um, which is appropriate. So, yeah, uh, we have our dynamic between um, between the sisters established pretty early on. Um, and that is further reinforced when they both make, they both cast their first spells, uh, love spells. Um, Jillian essentially was like, oh, I want to love a bunch of people is her spell. And Sally's is characteristically much more like, I want this perfect guy who's like, he has all, he has like this, 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 like a bunch of different uh, qualifiers and like, and he has different colored eyes and then she casts yeah. a spell. Um, Blue and the implication and is she doesn't want to settle down with one person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, I thought that was pretty interesting actually, because it's 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 like a, it's like a subversion of the idea of like a you know Prince Charming, this perfect guy, right? Because it's it, yeah, this guy would be perfect perhaps, but I don't actually want this guy. Nah, no yeah. thanks. But then also it's interesting given the rest of the movie. 
I think I agree with you that that is an interesting way to do it. That's an interesting like, um, and I think I want, I wonder if part of the reason that I like this movie even now as an adult is because it doesn't romanticize this like perfect man. It's sort of like discusses like that. Yes, it would be nice to have a perfect man, but also like, uh, it would be safer not to like, I, I kind of, I, and, and a lot of movies, uh, and yeah. media that we consume as, as young girls, as women or young women girls is, uh, is saying that like having a man is the most important thing. Cause they're all like very old. And that was true a long time ago. And like, um, and obviously it's not really true anymore that like you can like be a person without a partner and without a man and all that kind of stuff. And like, I like that this movie, um, again, the central relationships in this movie are with women, uh, and the women are characters yeah. that are fully realized unto themselves without, uh, and the relationship, like, I, I think this is categorized a lot as a romantic comedy, but like really the Aiden Quinn character is very, is like not very developed and he's like only, no. um, discussed no. in terms of like Sally's spell. Like that's really just like, oh, he fills like all of these bullet mm. points. Like, and so he's, he's technically the perfect man. Uh, and we have to believe in magic in order to believe that that's true, but like we don't see it in the movie. And I, I kind of like that. Like it's, it's, it's not cause it's not about him. It's about her and it's about her life and, and everyone's life. Those women and their relationships with each other. I think that that's kind of a, a cool thing, I guess. Yeah. No. And especially yeah. how, how f- like late he comes into the story yeah. as well. I mean, he comes in two thirds of the way, two thirds, right? Like he's got to come in yeah. right around the beginning of the third act more or less. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, not much of a romantic comedy when your when your male lead is barely in the thing. Yeah, no, uh, he's not important at all. It is, no, it's yeah. really it is about the the sisters, their relationships, and then their relationship with the with the with the aunts and and with the kids too. I mean, it's the you know three three to four generations of the the Owen Owens or Owen. I think it's Owens. Owens. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact: in the book, uh, they talk about how all of the girls always have to have the last name Owens, like even if they are. um, So, like in the book, Sally has daughters with her husband, and uh, and then she gives them the last name Owens because it's like tradition, even though his last name is presumably something different, but we don't know what it is. But that's like a thing. Oh, gotcha. I thought that was interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, uh, this movie not only passes the Bechdel test, it, it defenestrates and disembowels the Bechdel <laughs> yeah. test. Yeah. Uh, this movie is all about That's that. For sure. Um, and I was going to say something else. I forget. Oh, yeah. Fun fact. Uh, my grandfather had one blue eye and one green eye. Huh. But it was, beca- it was because no of No way! A- yeah. <laughs> but it's because of a childhood injury. It wasn't. He wasn't born with it. Oh, Wait, can you yeah, explain yeah, that? Why would a childhood injury cause a different eye color? I don't know. He died before I ever met him, so I couldn't. I can't actually tell you like how different colors they were. But like according to everyone who knew him, uh, he was born with two blue eyes. Um, one of his eyes, I'm not sure which, was was injured. I think like he stabbed himself in the eye with scissors. Ah! Sorry, maybe we should yeah. keep that. No, no, it's that's okay. It's okay. I'm for me as someone who doesn't like eye violence, yeah, but yeah. thank you for uh, saying those words out loud. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he injured his eye. In, in in childhood um and it affected the color of the of the iris to the degree that it appeared green mm. like as, as it healed so, yeah yeah no i think and that's again that's pretty common fact, with uh when i say ahead. your fun fact just fun fact when i was a kid too i also injured my left eye and um i think it was his left because my dad was freaked out when i injured my left eye as a kid too. Oh. So, oh damn oh. that's the uh that's your family's magic. curse you have to <laughs> injure magic. your left eye <laughs> 
my eyes do have the same color still, um, fortunately or unfortunately, mm. depending on your point yeah. Of view. I, no, I think that's how like David Bowie got his heterochromia, which is the name of uh, that. Um, I don't know, whatever d- medical disorder. Uh, but I think two different colored eyes. Yeah. yeah, it just means like different colors. Yeah, he got. I think his um, he his eye. One of his eyes was injured. But I think like you could be born with it as well. You can, um, you can, uh, and you can also. Sorry, go. Yeah, just uh, I'm looking up here quick. Heterochromia is when you're born with it. Oh, um, okay. Kate Bosworth, uh, Mila Kunis has that, um, but he got into a fist fight as a teenager. Bowie, and yeah. That resulted in anisocoria, a condition in which a person's eyes have different sized pupils. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. He had the uh, different pupils thing. Oh, okay. This is why people do like actual research for their podcasts and they don't just say dumb shit like we do. <laughs> Listen, you couldn't have predicted that this would come up. This is, you know, you were, yeah. you did the best you could. Everyone has come <laughs> Thank as prepared you. as they That's could. why I, I invite it's guests fun. on to tell me I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Very validating. That's my job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, we get another time skip. Um, Sally and Jillian grow up. Um, Jillian had run off. I think she goes to California or she, she goes, goes she runs far. Yeah. I think she goes all over. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a thing in the book too, that like, they don't know where she is. She like sends postcards from different places and then they can't send, send mail back. Cause she's never at the same address for very long. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Sally meets and falls in love with J- Johnny Appleseed. Like this guy that yeah. he pushes uh, apple carts around. He does have a push <laughs> apple carts. Th- this is, he, he is one of, I don't want to use fail son because like he never has like grand ambitions, but he's just no. he's like it's such a lovable dope. He's yeah. just like oh I'm, I'm carrying my apples around, <laughs> just like he's got this. Uh, but yeah, so we we get this uh, the husband character set up for Sally and Jillian. Uh, her main romance for the movie is um, Jimmy Angelove, who's described Incredible. as a vampire cowboy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> self-described i think he he says he's Self- a vampire described cowboy. by himself as a vampire <laughs> cowboy <laughs> it's great it's great um he he's he's one part elmore leonard one part Anne rice yeah um, well he would say that he's louis lamore because that's yeah. the author he references yes <laughs> that's true did you see the uh I, I read something that said that they rewrote the part for that actor whose name i'm afraid to try to say goran vishniak or whatever and uh but they rewrote it for him and he was originally supposed to be just like a straightforward texas cowboy guy uh and then really? they brought him in and rather than changing the character entirely they tried to like blend uh, they tried to make a weird, like, blended thing, which is, like, uh, I mean, honestly, fine. He That's was... Um, I like it. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoy him, too. I, shit, but I like it. And I, he's also an actor that, like, I think he was maybe on... I feel like he was on a television show, like, maybe ER or something like that. Uh, and But he was somebody... He's one of those like, spaces. Yeah. Yeah. and But I think all of the other actors and actresses in this film, I can, like, see in their other settings. But, like, he is one guy that I will always just associate with this movie. And, like, when I saw him, I think, again, I think it was ER or something where he was a doctor. uh, And he was supposed to be playing, like, a good guy. And I was, like, can't see him as a good guy. Like, he just seems, he seems gross and bad to me because he beat (laughs) up Nicole Kidman. And, like, uh, yeah, he never lives outside of this movie in my, in my head. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of his like standout performances. I'd imagine. I would think so, like, and I kind of I think yeah. he's good in this. Like, I think yeah. he, I think all of the performances are yeah. are yeah. kind of good in this movie. I don't. There's nobody in this movie that like, I watch it and I think that 
they were not committed to their character or like nobody feels like they're acting. I feel like everyone kind of is living in this world and like doing a good job. Um, And I think that he especially is like making a lot of character choices and being like, he's good. I think he's good. Um, I think, yeah. Again, I like this movie. I don't think anyone is bad in this movie. I think everything is good. I like it. I like this movie. Considering the amount of uh, child actors too, they all, none of them like are distractingly bad no absolutely not no i think everyone is good and they and they do a good job too at like i think everyone's all the children are their parts are pretty small the exception would be like uh evan rachel wood but she was probably like 13 or something when this movie was happening so like she was kind of like she was doing a good job uh and they knew that she would do a good job but like everyone else i feel like they they shrunk their parts enough because that's another thing in the book too the book is i'm sorry to reference the book a lot i know that's not what this podcast is but like no no it's good to to know definitely relevant i think i think the book has a lot more to do with the daughters than the movie does like the 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 movie shrunk their parts quite a lot also they weirdly switched the name so like the oldest child in the book is named antonia Antonia, Antonia, uh, and then the second one is Kylie. Which, first of all, those two names are super weird together. Hmm. Like, I don't think that a family should have like one child named Antonia and the other one named Kylie. I think that's strange. <laughs> um, yeah, Kylie is like so current and modern for the time, and then like yeah, exactly. Antonia, Antonia is like very yeah. So it's strange, but uh, but they also but they switched them. So Kylie was the older daughter in the movie, and I don't really understand what the per- I thought about that oh, a lot. I was like, why would yeah, they yeah. choose to do that? And I don't know the answer. It seems very weird to me. Maybe but, yeah. Evan Rachel Wood is just yeah she was older and they knew she was like the better actress and right but like but they it's gave the meteor but they, role to her yeah but like they could have I don't know I just think it was I thought that was strange because it's not really that the characters are that different I don't know whatever it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter but it just I thought that was a weird little change to make um so yeah uh, then <laughs> in in what. I, I found this a little unintentionally funny, but Sally's husband dies. Um, the way he dies is, is pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Okay, yeah. So he's say it. Go ahead, say it. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's he's pushing apples. He's pushing his apple cart down the main street. Oh, hey, Bob, how you doing? Oh, I'm just pushing the apples. Uh, your your flowers look good today, Mrs. Smith. Oh, thanks, Bob. You're just pushing his apple street, and then um, a bunch of like Lance Armstrong style just bike <laughs> racers just fly past him, and we we get like a lot of build up to it, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we see close-ups of, of, of the, of them the pedals and, and cross-cutting and yeah and then they just like zoom around him it's it's like it's like fishes it's like fish in a stream going around a rock he's like oh oh oh, oh just like and then they all pass him and then he whew, he he sigh of, a sigh of relief and then a truck comes out of nowhere <laughs> <and laughs> plows into him and we don't even see the truck like we just see no. like the grill of the truck and then you see his yes. face and boom you know all the apples and the cart just fly into the air and splinters and yep. chunks of apple flying everywhere and he's dead i vividly yep. remember, I remember as remember a child name. what's his name <laughs> Michael. His name is Michael. I I remember as a child thinking every single time, like, this scene is going to, like, he's going to be okay. Like, I I think the first time I saw it, I had this, like, hope (laughs) that, like, the Death Watch Beetle or whatever, yeah, was going to, was not going to mean anything. And, like, he's going to be fine. And then, uh, and then obviously he's not. And then, um, and then every time after that, I would still, like, have this, like, tiny hope, like, maybe he's going to be okay. And, like, he's never okay. <laughs> um, he's never okay. Never okay. Um, yeah, I like when I, – I knew he was not going to be okay the moment a, a, a he comes upon a black dog while he's, like, leaving the house yes. to go to work. Yeah. Um, classic. Classic, uh, you know, harbinger of death, the black dog. 
and it follows him, and it's super cute. It's like a black lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a cute, cute little uh, porch, portent of doom. Yeah, little hellhound. Um, but yeah, so we it, wait. It do you know that black dogs do not because, get um, adopted as as easily? Like black dogs are like uh like less. Uh, really? Yeah, they'll stay in shelters longer and are more likely to get euthanized because people won't adopt black dogs. So just PSA, like huh. if, if you're uh, looking for a dog, like you a dog, should adopt it will a black be one. Yeah, a black dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know that's that's good. It's interesting. Do you think it's because people know like this the you know like the old wives' tale of like yeah, a black dog dog is like a portent of death, or do they just like what is it? Because like black black cats, yeah. you know, it's like okay, right? You, you know, they're unlucky. I think I th- I've heard that it's that and then I've heard yes I've also heard though that it's difficult it's a it's about photography and it's difficult to photograph a black dog oh. well because yeah, of yeah. the way that, that cameras are or whatever that, that's almost worse yeah no it's uh, it's also yeah, bad that's, that's yeah really it, yeah, a, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, <laughs> yep. but yeah so it, it 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 becomes a little bit of a montage because um Sally is, is struggling she she's obviously torn up um but she does mentally call out to Jillian Jillian um hears her in her mind and she 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 leaves jimmy angela and she she drops everything and she runs right back um and that was good i i uh, this this part and a bunch of other little moments throughout the movie uh it really sells the idea that like they actually are sisters and they actually do care about each other a lot um she does eventually leave though um leaving sally and her two kids alone with what are the aunt's names aunt uh, we, uh I, Francis Francis and and Jack. yeah i didn't i i've seen this movie again like a lot of times uh in my life and i did not know their names i just think of them as stalker channing and diane weist <laughs> um even as a little kid i yeah. think i like knew their yeah. names uh i will also say that in the <laughs> the book I, I think the movie does a really good job of at depicting their sisterhood and i think um the book also like gives more context to it which obviously is what books do and again i apologize for like bringing this up all the time but like something that the book talks about is like how uh which i think the movie kind of alludes to is that like they had a really unhappy childhood being always like ostracized and they only had each other um and and also that like jillian's needing to leave has to do with like not wanting to be in this town that uh knows her and like knows like bad things about her like thinks bad things about her like and that's part of it too so like yeah, i kind right. of mm-hmm. um and the I think the movie does a very good job at like illustrating those things, uh, and again, just like books, give you more opportunity for context and give you more opportunity for like internal dialogue. Um, but like I think the movie does a good job at like representing that, which I was I was in general uh, again I haven't read the whole book yet, but like I I think that this movie is kind of a nice adaptation. Like I kind of enjoy, even though there's that one big change with the curse and whatever. But like I think it's I don't think it's bad. Like I think that this the movie does a nice job. So Jillian um, helps Sally kind of regain her composure and, and, and heal and move on from the death of her husband. Uh, but she does take off again um, as soon as she's not needed. Um, Sally and the girls move into the awesome, cool, creepy uh, witch mansion that they built specifically for the movie. Specifically for the oh, movie. Oh, I saw that I in the Amazon that. Uh, yep. trivia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Sally starts up her business that she wanted to do, um, which is like... I don't know, kind of like a, a witchy herbal shop. Like an apothecary. Um, like, yes. I don't know if they use that word, but I feel like that's what it is. And then it's it's like a botanical, like, remedies place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Sally has her little thing going. She has her she has her shop. She um, 
she's trying to get on the she's trying to become the head of the phone bank tree oh the phone tree yeah it's cool the phone tree uh yeah um all her her kids are tormented and in turn torment the other uh normie children in in, in town um because the i mean the kid keep it keeping it with the the theme of ostracization the 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 normie children are, are like antagonizing um, her her daughters because they think they're witches yeah. too. Yeah, they like have this little chant. It's like witch, witch, you're a bitch, right? And yes, they use that like, generationally. They use that chant. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the aunts want to teach her daughters, and the daughters want to learn from them. Um, but Sally forbids it because she's like, I, I just want to be normal. I want I want to cling to some sense of normality uh, especially after my husband's dead yeah and she um, wasn't really into all the witchy stuff after she was a kid basically she kind of yeah, gave she, all that up we kind of get the sense like she had more latent talent that she didn't right. really mm-hmm. she didn't really grasp yeah we get the um, idea that she's or, the more she really yeah she's it. the more um preternaturally like witchy of the two sisters but then jillian has more yeah. other like what maybe we could call them like soft skills like the like you know personable like able to be in the world kind of uh skills yeah yeah so she's like compelling and like powerful in her own way but in more of sort of like a feminine wiles type type way but sandra bullock has more of the like actual magic stuff jillian uh meets up meets back up with um jimmy angelov but he it turns out he becomes abusive um He's an alcoholic and he gets physically abusive with yeah. her. Yeah. Also, uh, um, and j- just c- controlling in general. Yeah. The when I watched this movie this time, um, and I I was struck by the fact that like when she said she had to like drug him in order to get away in the first place, so that was a thing that she said that she like uh, gives him belladonna, which is like a you know botanical oh, right. sedative, mm-hmm. um, and she like secretly gives it to him so that she can like have time to herself because otherwise he like won't leave her alone. Which like first of all. Uh, if the man is not sleeping, like, it made me think that he was, like, already on drugs, which is, like, fine and in keeping with his character, but, like, a thing that had not occurred to me as a child. And then um, and then also, like, she, he's already controlling. Like, it's not like he turns controlling and bad. He, like, already is bad, which Sally kind of says uh, when yeah. she's, like, you have to drug him in order to get time by yourself. But anyway, but this was just, like, a whole uh, plot line that, like... Um, I like heard differently, like in listening to it. And also like now having worked with families that are experiencing like domestic violence, like I was just like, this is a red flag really far away. Like this is really bad. Like and I just like hadn't had that like <laughs> yeah. recognition before. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. So he's, he's, he's bad. And then, yeah. But then Jillian goes back to him anyway. And it gets worse. Yeah. Which, you know, in keeping with uh, domestic violence like that, that's, pretty accurate yeah it escalates it, you know, it seems like a pretty mm-hmm. accurate depiction yep. of it yeah and then there's a cyclical nature to it where you think it's going to get better and then it doesn't and it's like a whole thing right Just psa for your listeners yeah. okay keep going <laughs> no for sure <laughs> this is the good stuff um but yeah sally sally does go to help jillian um, in new york same thing. i think i couldn't tell i don't know i don't know if they say uh, somewhere it always feels like west new to arizona Arizo- arizona oh, arizona. Is it right, arizona you're right you're right, right. yeah 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 because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right he has, his Arizona car has plates. Arizona plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, yeah, she goes um, to Logan Airport. I remember she says yep, that. Yep, she says Logan. It, yeah, I guess if you were going to New York, you would just like just drive, right? Right. So, yeah, it wouldn't yeah, take that right. long. You could that get there sense. like in less yeah. than half a night. But if you had to go, yeah, yeah, keep going. Yeah, all the way cross country makes mm-hmm. sense. You'd fly. Yeah. Similarly, um, she she drops everything and immediately goes to help Jillian when Jillian needs her. Um, she does get there. Um, they almost escape, but Jimmy Angelov catches up. 
and um, he 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 lures Jillian into his car, holds her at gunpoint. Does he have um, a gun? Or uh, that's the thing. No, like, no. Just, I, don't even I think he, has he a gun. just like holds her. He's, like, he's just there. He like he's, chokes her he, basically. Yeah, he's yeah. like ho- he's got her in like a yeah. He's got he his like had... arm around her neck, kind of like and is holding her there. Um, like I think he grabs her, but I could be wrong. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think there's a gun at all because I also feel like if there had been a gun, it's like that Chekhov. Isn't that a checkoff thing that like if you have a gun on screen you have to use it or like on stage you have to like yeah. you have to fire it yeah mm-hmm. um and I feel like right yeah then he would have been shot later and right he, he they would have shot, shot him and not so, done the yeah, Belladonna I, I don't thing. think there's yeah. a gun yeah but but yeah. I know there's what you're no, talking about because no he's got off, her in like kind of a headlock either. a little bit and it, it and, like it would be yeah would be I thought it was kind of strange that it was just a headlock too I was like okay I get it like you know it makes sense too because you could obviously still really you know hurt someone with a headlock. You could, and also, like, when so. there's so many other components to it, it's not just a physical yeah. thing. There's also, like, it's hard to leave him not just because he's going to be physically dangerous, but because of all of the other components to it. Because there's, like, when, again, right. domestic violence-wise, like, people burrow into your brain and your psyche, and it makes it hard to leave them not because they're scary physically, but because they're because there's lots of other scary things, too. Uh, and the physical stuff is, like, almost mm-hmm. secondary. And you can heal from that way faster. Just, again, PSA for your people. No, for sure. And, th- and that's where, like, this film, I think, is a little more nuanced. And, uh, again, like, that that nuance might escape a lot of audiences. Um, but, you know, in a, in a, like we said, in, in the book, I don't know if you've gone to this part in nope, the book. Nope, I have not. <laughs> um, I imagine it's a little... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <Nope. laughs> you know, I'm sure the nuance is fully there as, and, and maybe even more fleshed out in the book. Um, but I also... But I think the movie did a pretty decent job I think job that, yeah, it. I think that watching this again, um, I actually, again, because, like, there were a lot of red flags that popped up for me now watching it through the lens of, like, I have a master's degree and I'm, like, a mental health professional person. Like, I, I see it in a different way than I used to. But I, also, as a kid, I understood, like, um, kids slash adolescents slash, like, I've watched this movie, I think, probably before as an adult, too, that, like... Um, this is a dangerous man and like she's in a dangerous web and like the reason that it's bad is not because he's only physically dangerous he's otherwise dangerous and like watching this movie again I think it depicts it actually fairly well Um, and and also the thing that I think it depicts very like fairly well is that they had to do whatever they had to do to get out of this situation and uh, which ended up accidentally being killing him because they were just trying to sedate him but still like they they did whatever they could to get out of it to be safe um and you can see like the kind of like desperate thought process to get to that point which i think is interesting and not necessarily excusable like i don't mean to say like you should definitely kill your abuser like that's not what i mean but like i i don't know i just like i kind of i feel like this movie is i don't think it does this badly again I like this movie. I don't think that it does any of the things like super badly. And I think, I think all of the performances were very good. I I remember I enjoyed like Sandra Bullock's, uh, I felt like you could see her thinking these things through like during that scene when they're in the car and like, she's deciding like what to do next. The only thing that I remember being confused about as a child was the part. Um, and I don't know if we've gotten to this synopsis wise, but like, um, where so they decide as sisters like uh they've been he's she's Jillian has already been like giving him belladonna uh to sedate him so that she can like have time to herself to sleep um and then when Jillian comes to pick her up and she and they're like stuck in the car with him um she says to Sandra Bullock 
and I understand now that it was like telepathy, like it was like in their minds. But what it looks like is that like Nicole Kidman's face comes up in the uh, rearview mirror of the car and she says the Belladonna is in my bag. Oh, yep. And I remember as a child being right. like, why can't he hear them? Because I did not get that device. <laughs> like, I did not understand that that was like a, a device yeah. that they were using. Um, yeah. But now I, I mean, obviously I understand it now. But uh, but yeah, but that was like a thing. But otherwise, I think as a kid, again, I think I, I understood this kind of like, I think that this movie depicts well this kind of like desperation and kind of um, like... Uh, everything is very heightened and everything is very uh, extraordinary and it is a big deal to like leave this person um, even though it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't seem like it should be necessarily, but it, it like is. And I, I kind of, I think that this movie does this well. I hope this episode is not like 17 hours long. Like I feel, I feel bad that I'm talking. To oh, me. we've had some out. We've had ones that have been close to three hours. So don't worry. It won't be. I told you I started like a, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we've... I started a spreadsheet of all of your episodes. Cause I wanted to make sure that when I picked a movie, it was like one that made sense in your like overall oeuvre. And then I <laughs> was like procrastinating other work that I had to do. So I just like started a spreadsheet to like categorize all of the movies that you had done uh and all the episode and episode length was did one you of send the me that spreadsheet i will i can i'll finish it and like yeah i will i will share it with you because i know that it would be valid because i wish that one existed for my own podcast additionally i could make one yeah uh and i don't <laughs> like, i just made one for you uh we'll make one for your podcast Okay, thank you. Yeah, that, that's honestly more work than either of us have put into this podcast for some time. Um, it's like, yeah, I, I won't. I won't say we've never done work for this show, but like more than a while. Yeah, um, it's for sure. whatever. I I do my podcast uh, yeah. full time right now, and like I fully don't do that much work for my own. Yeah, so they they get away from Jimmy Angela. They they knock him out with um the belladonna plant in his tequila because he's always drinking tequila. Um. Yep. A very they, they specific, brand, yeah, very specific murder. brand. Yeah. yeah. They they drive. They just drive back to uh, back home in his car from Arizona, um, and the the aunts are go- the aunts are away for the night because they're they're with the 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 girls at like some, yes at the uh, oh like I wanted to say it's a, a solstice festival? event or something um and yes. my favorite mm, Diane yes. Weiss line is when Sandra Bullock is leaving to go get Nicole Kidman and uh and and she's saying like uh and the the aunts are saying like oh we have to go to the solstice system or the, the solstice festival we're on the board or whatever and uh Sandra Bullock is like yeah yeah okay well don't take like can you not because like uh or or take the girls but like don't let them dance in naked in moonlight or something like that because like that's a part of it yeah, and then yeah. diane <laughs> says like the nudity is completely optional as you well remember and it's just like she does it in this excellent way that just like and <laughs> made me laugh out loud again now watching it uh very good she's Diane Weist is a treasure. I love her. <laughs> I love her in everything that she does. She's an excellent, excellent actress. So great. And that line is perfect. Yeah. 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 It's perfect casting. Perfect no, casting. It, it is really Very a great good. line. Yeah. It, it, it um and the line is interesting too, because it like it not only creates like their family history, their family dynamic, but it kind of creates this world of of the witches of of this town too. Like they have the solstice. They're on. They have like boards and committees, and uh, they have like these rules. And one of the rules is that you know nudity is uh, optional. Actually, yeah. you know they're uh, yep. so yeah. It's I interesting. Really gr- yeah, it's, it's I a think... great. It's a lot packed into that line. Yes, there's again. I like this movie. I think that's a great. What you just said is absolutely. It creates a whole lot of a world that we understand. Um, that Sandra Bullock is trying to like shun and not be a part of, which I think is also really interesting. Right. And uh, and that's. I just think. Yep. Yeah, 
again, Diane Weist is a treasure. Stalker Channing, excellent. Uh, and I just, I really like that part. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said that like 17 um, times so So where far. are we? The, uh, no, no, that's okay. Totally oh, good. yeah. So the um, odds are away so the yeah, so they, they, with the girls. Yeah. So they and they drive, they drive from Arizona to Massachusetts with um, uh, Jimmy's dead body. And well, he's not dead yet. He's not dead well, yet? Well, no, 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 no. So they kill him twice. No, they, this is a thing that I didn't understand now. as a child. So he's, They kill him twice. Yep. So they, they killed him yep. with the Belladonna, and then they decide to bring yes. him back so that they aren't guilty of murder. Um, and so that's what, what we see happening next. So they go right. back home to the house and then they bring his, his body inside and then they have, they do like the spell, um, that we know exists because earlier in the movie, Sandra Bullock asked the witches to bring back her dead husband and they say no because they oh, come back as something right. dark and unnatural. Um, and then Sandra Bullock says that to Nicole Kidman, like we can't bring him back because he would come back as something dark and unnatural and Nicole Kidman is like he's already dark and unnatural it's totally fine so they decide to bring him back so that they won't be like they won't be guilty of murder and then they do this elaborate spell and we see like gross stuff like they have to like uh put needles through his eyes and all this stuff um and then they bring him back to life and again as a child this was very confusing for me I did not quite understand which again I at the time I did not realize that I didn't understand but like now as an adult I realized that I didn't understand so they bring him back and then he tries to kill Nicole Kidman. He comes back and he's like speaking in this very like scary, like manic voice. Um, he's telling her, he's saying like, "Won't you be my wife?" But then he's also like strangling her. Yes. Um, yeah. And then no, he he's he he's like literally doing like the Borat voice, my wife yes, thing. Yes, like, he it's is because he's he already has an accent. Yep. And he's like just come back to life, and he's like, "My wife, you will be my wife." It's just. <laughs> I couldn't help yeah. but laughing. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> yep. But yep. it's obviously and terrifying because uh, he's, he's like strangling to... her to death. Yeah. Right. And so he's trying to kill her. And then so Sandra Bullock hits him on the head with a frying pan, I believe. And then he dies yeah. a second time. So then they've killed him twice. Right. Uh, which again. And then they bury I... him in the backyard. Right. And then they bury him in the backyard. I did not get that as a kid. I like didn't really get what was happening. And I just like. And then the rest of the movie. I still enjoyed, so I don't know what I thought was going on, but I just remembered like <laughs> not really getting like, is he dead or not dead? He's buried, but also he comes back later. So like, I don't really know. I still like it, probably because their hair was so long and pretty. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I still like this movie. <laughs> I am a little confused in how he comes back later, but I guess we can. I think he's because we'll he's a ghost. Soon. I mean, that's a yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll get there soon. We'll get there soon. I get it. Um, so yeah, uh, they bury him, um, the, the aunts and the, the daughters come back, um, everyone's happy because Jillian's home, uh, they love Jillian, she's like, she's the favorite, obviously, she's the fun one, um, and they are acting kind of very, very nervous, obviously, because they have a dead body buried in the backyard, um, and the aunts immediately pick up on it, no, no, that night, when they all get drunk and have yes. tequila. Yes, okay. And that scene yes. is, is important, I think, to discuss because it's something that comes up in like every yeah. single review that I read. Um, because they, so they have this, so like the girls and the aunts come back. I'm sorry, I'm like taking over your job to like say that the things happen. No, 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 no please. Um, yeah, yeah. So the aunts and the girls this come back and then, uh, and we see like kind of a normal day take place and they're all kind of being like, uh, cautious and careful and then like they go to bed and then in the night um we see the 
I don't remember if we see the aunts doing this first, but they, they cast a spell on like a blender and they're making margaritas. And then uh, Nicole Kidman goes and wakes up Sandra Bullock and and they know that it's like midnight margaritas and we get the feeling that this is like a tradition that the aunts do, which is kind of interesting too yeah. because I think Nicole Kidman was supposed to have left home when she was like under legal drinking age. Like, I don't know. But, um, but like they, <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they, yeah, so they get up in the middle of the night and they go and there's like a, uh, like a whole like scene where there's like a conga line and there's a big, um, put the lime in the coconut, whatever that song is. Like that's a song that's yep. playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Song. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of reviews that I, I read discuss like this movie, like the, f- the problem with this movie being that it, it changes tone frequently or like it changes genre a lot. Um, so it never like finds a home anywhere. So like, it's not a full horror movie, but it's also not really a romantic comedy, but it's also not, uh, like not a drama it's just it's a confusing thing and they all cite this scene as like being one that's like out of character for the movie which I think is interesting because to me it doesn't seem really out of character it just seems like uh a further like more like plot development or like or more development of like character development like we kind of understand like oh these are fun loving women and like and also that um I don't know I guess again it makes me think that like all the people reviewing this movie like were uh maybe like I, I, this just is this just this doesn't seem strange to me especially in the context of like women who live in the same house together like we have fun traditions and we get up in the middle of the night and drink margaritas yeah no it's um the the tone doesn't feel unfocused it just feels like i i that that's a thing that a lot of critics um bring up like oh a movie had like a confused tone and it that can be a drawback but i don't think it always has to be a drawback um i i think i think a lot of a lot of good movies have a variety of tones um a lot of like classic movies do i don't know like jurassic, jurassic park, park i like, think i was gonna say it too it's like a big one where it's like Jesus. literally one fucking second this is a horror movie another second it's a big action adventure and the next second it's you know it's eh, you science, really don't get the romance fiction. all that often but like you know it's a it's a comedy here and there it's, it it has like family right it's Amblin, a, fa- Amblin, right. Family, it's a family amblin film like, as well so dr alan grant is gonna come to care about kids right because he he got chased by a t-rex right it's like it's, right it's it's you know that that father dynamic stuff that's in all spielberg yeah. films so yeah. it's 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 just, i guess it's just interesting what types of movies um you know get this applied to them right like i think a film like practical magic is going to get this you know this kind of label applied to it that it's mixed match tone um, and you know, I think you're right to some extent, Amanda. That like, you know, a lot of men saw this movie. Were, well, a lot of critics were men at this time, and you know, probably just didn't jive with them. They didn't understand kind of the dynamics at play. Um, and also, it's a weird time for this movie. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense like October release. You know, it's 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 Halloween as well, but this is kind of also in the middle of Oscar season. So like, these critics are probably seeing a ton of fucking movies, um, and you know. They're probably jaded. I think it's it's a lot of you know just like male jaded critics who don't want to give a film like this you know it's it's actual due. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's interesting. Like I I was watching this film and I was like, why would this have a twenty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes? Other than like obviously Rotten Tomatoes is like kind of a fucked up algorithm. Well, actually, it's not an algorithm. It's it's just like 
people in their office who who uh, attribute scores to um, or, or yeah. attribute uh, negative or positive to reviews. And then I guess they and yeah, well, they probably throw in an algorithm after that, I assume periodic reminder that um our our reliance on rotten tomatoes it, it's at least half ironic because we recognize the inherent absurdity and like i know i know lewis and i both we're we're resistant to applying number scores in any sort whether the five star system or just like a percentage to any movies um it's it's more of a useful barometer for determining like a a, a somewhat broad consensus um it it's it's it we 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 do use it but it it's as much a joke as anything else yeah. we joke about on the podcast i mean i have a problem with like what so i i do the letterboxd account for the podcast and like yeah. sometimes i'm just like but what is the difference between a 2.5 and a 3 what is the difference between a 3.5 yeah. and a 4 like i don't fucking know so i just give them these arbitrary ratings <laughs> yeah no it's it, it is arbitrary um I don't know if if you want to assign a number score to anything that's fine just it's it's not our style um but it is it is helpful for for picking out movies here um, yeah and just to show how some wrong sometimes they are right like i think that's that's arguably the point of the yeah. show right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah the, the whole the whole drunk the whole drunk scene is very fun um mm-hmm. apparently they did really get drunk i know i on saw that too that nicole yeah. kidman picked up yeah yeah which is great that was great um and eventually the the aunts find out that they it it, it is uh angela spiked uh, yeah tequila. it's um, so that's a thing another uh again just because i'm watching this uh as like an adult now when i i think i watched it the most and the and the most carefully as a child um this is a time too that like i didn't recognize so, like the whole you can see like the scene starts out really fun and silly and then it devolves into nastiness and uh and i understood this time watching it that like that had to do with like the his his spirit or his whatever something yeah. some his something about him kind of corrupting the evening which again also doesn't like ring that untrue like just as an now as an adult person who like gets drunk sometimes that like sometimes like a, a night that can be fun can also like turn nasty really quickly when you're like drinking a lot of tequila oh yeah but um sure. but but this like I understood that there was like a magical element of it this time that like I don't think I got as a kid like for whatever reason maybe just because the the level of energy doesn't the level of energy doesn't change the like nuance of the energy changes like you can tell it's like a good energy to a bad energy but like it stays really like lifted kind of throughout and like maybe i just like wasn't i didn't get that as much as a kid uh but like yeah but this was something this time when i watched it i was like oh i get it it's because he's here so there's a clue before they see the label of the tequila that it's like that he's present but the label of the tequila is like the thing uh that is like the clincher i really like when nicole kidman smashes it in the sink too i i like enjoy that oh, moment yeah, yeah. i feel like it's a good it's, also, it's a nice sink too it's like one of those farmhouse oh sinks. it's a good big one it's yeah really it's real deep yep uh-huh yeah one of those big porcelain white <laughs> yeah farmhouse sinks, you yeah. can tell that you're like a homeowner because you like are we are now an like hgtv uh, yeah. <laughs> podcast <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not funny when we got our, the house, my mom was like, oh, you should get a farmhouse sink. And I was like, I don't need one. I like the one I have. <laughs> um, but yeah, the ants, they take off. They're like, yeah. uh, you caused this problem. You, you clean, clean up, up your own um, mess. Which is good. Yeah. Good attitude on there. Right. Yeah. I remember. Uh, the, the literal one and the metaphorical yes. one. I remember yeah. as a child uh, knowing like, oh, something, this is bad. Like, I remember like feeling like lost when they're gone. <laughs> like, I remember that. I remember that feeling. Yeah, and I yeah. felt it again because I was like, oh, no, it's bad. It's kind of. <laughs> 
it's it's like it's like when Gandalf leaves Bilbo and the dwarves before they go into uh, the Mer- the Mirkwood uh, in the Hobbit. Yeah. It's like, oh, the the magical figure we relied upon is is taken off. Right. Um, I have neither you know, watched have all of Lord right. of the I mean, Rings nor read the books. I I ha- I don't know the story like all well, the way through it all, and I'm really sorry. We're we're gonna have to cut this up. Ep- <laughs> we're gonna have to cut this episode short yeah, and, see ask, you and ask you to leave, please. <laughs> really sorry i'm really sorry <laughs> i also could not have it's, told you but then I'll, i told I'll, you because i'm being go. honest it's yeah this is the thing that should be applauded yeah oh, well, you're yeah. under our spell you have to be honest <laughs> ah, that's what happens when you come on ProCon. <laughs> uh but yeah so they leave um and who should come uh sniffing around but a special detective from arizona um the other cowboy character of the movie Aiden um, Quinn with with his shiny silvery badge. Yes. Uh, Aiden Quinn, so handsome. Uh, Gary Hallett is the character. Gary Hallett. Um, so I'm I'm gonna defer to you, Amanda. I I don't think he was hot enough, um, to be like this. Yeah. Dreamboat. So okay, here's the thing about I will say okay, I've also seen him in Benny and June, um, which is another movie that I don't know if you guys watched. Um, it oh probably sure. doesn't have mm-hmm. like a low percentage or whatever on Rotten Tomatoes, but. Um, but he's in that movie and he's a little younger and I, I don't know if I saw that one before this one, uh, but I feel like I know him equally from both of them and he's like for sure hot in that one. Also in Desperately Seeking Susan, he's real good looking in that movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't mean to imply no, 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 like yeah. he, he's a so bad he's, looking uh, and, and I feel like in this one, so there's part of it that he's like carrying the hotness from his previous work. And then also he, sure. his, mm-hmm. his current vibe in this movie is a little bit dad, which like makes sense for yeah. like yeah, this yeah. character and these, and the fact that she's a mom and she has children. And like, I think that he, he feels yeah. like a good guy too, which is the thing that gives him a little, like there is, there is a sex appeal there, which I think, and again, I think though the sex appeal might kind of almost be a relic um, of his like previous work. Like we know he comes into this movie with this and he, and he is a man who like, I mean, he talks slow and like, I don't know, he like does things in a way that like you can tell or like intentionally like he's supposed to be sexy and like you see it. I, but I think also like part of the appeal is that he feels wholesome and he feels nice. Um, and I say that he's a yeah. cop in this movie and like clearly like looking at things and saying that cops are nice guys is like uh, a thing of the past. It's not really like a thing that like feels current like cause cops are like not thought of as being as mm-hmm. like good guys now. But um, but I think in this movie that was like part of the, like, I think he was supposed to read as a good guy and as a nice guy. So he didn't need to have like, oh, he didn't yeah. need to be like dripping with like sex appeal. Um, and he's very pretty. Like his face is very pretty and his eyes are very, I mean, there's supposed to be one blue eye and one green eye, but I think they are just like really in real life blue, but they are very good eyes are very like piercing. And like, he's a, he's a, a pretty man. Yeah. Um, and I thought about that again, also yeah, watching no, it that, this time, that, like he was, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm super attracted to him, but like in the movie, he seems like a good guy. And I was like happy that he was there, but like he seems safe too. That's the other thing yeah, too. I think sure, he seems safe. Yeah. And, and especially the way he like interacts with her kids, you know, I mean like yeah. he, flips right. the pancakes he enjoys and... being around kids. He's good with them. He flips the pancakes. He makes the cactus pancakes. You know, I think like that is uh, appealing for the Sandra Bullock character. Um, you know, and I think that is also that can be something that just people find attractive in men as well. You know, just be like being a decent person, like being like 
kind to children. Yeah, um, and especially like when that man is going to have to be like a stepfather to those children. Like that's like right. a part of what makes mm-hmm. him like a good character. But you're right, yeah, his clothes that, don't fit well. That, that all tracks. His clothes fit yeah, atrociously. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I I th- I think that this is this is a little bit of residual self loathing on mm. my part because he dresses like I used to dress in college, sure. which is to say horribly, yeah. <laughs> just like bag baggy button up flannels, boxy jeans, crappy, formless shapeless yeah. coats and jackets, just like. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of self consciousness on my part, so um, that that's probably what I was bringing. I will to say it. too that um, that's very much uh because of the time. So like I recently, so I'm a fan of The Bachelor slash Bachelorette, yeah. which is the thing that I'm not uh, proud of because I'm like a feminist <laughs> and I feel like I should be better, but also like it's a thing. And over this pandemic, uh, they were not able to film their recent season, so they did this thing that was like The Bachelor Greatest of All Time seasons or Greatest Seasons Ever or something oh, like that. And so they did these sure. like recap. Uh, the, these recap episodes where they would like like uh, discuss a season um, and it was and the reason that it was interesting is because it's a time capsule of the fashion at the time like it's uh, so like Chris Harrison yes. who is the host of the show <laughs> was wearing suits that were very similar to this very baggy um, and nothing looked like nothing was tailored everything looked like it was very boxy and that was just really truly of the time because the very first season of the show was in 2002 which was only four years after this and mm. um, and it and it was something I hadn't really thought about I, I mean I think about women's fashion all the time because uh, that's the thing that I like wore and like also like looked at as like aspirational but I don't think about men's fashion a lot but like that was the thing that like I thought about a lot very recently that like those big boxy suits were like they were in which is weird uh but it but they were and uh and yeah so everything that he's wearing was like very much of the time but again just a couple like a decade or so earlier in Desperately Seeking Susan which is an excellent film and maybe has a very low Rotten Tomatoes I don't know because it's one of those ones that like no, it's probably good. But anyway, but he's in that and he wears like skinny jeans and like a little muscle tee. Super hot. Though. It's a great movie. I love that movie. He has all the signifiers. Um he has different colored eyes. Um he, he has can ride uh, a uh, horse backwards. He can ride a horse backwards. His um his little police badge uh is a star, a star. So it's his favorite shape. Um he has all the qualifiers, meaning uh Sally cannot lie to him. Um so like we get we get like clever little things where like he'll ask her oh did did you kill did you kill this man and she's like yeah i killed him twice Couple yeah, of <laughs> yeah. Te- again truths. i did yeah, not yeah, get that, that when i was a kid i like did not understand <laughs> i was so confused that was good um and also th- uh, on him being a cop um it's fine i i we we are a leftist podcast we are a cab we are we are we we have our criticisms of the police sure. black lives matter yeah. all that all that good lefty stuff um but like in in movies you you i don't want to say you quote unquote have to turn your politics off cuz all art is political and and to say that you don't want politics in your art is a dumb thing to say cuz it, it it's impossible but um y- you can have good heroic police officers in fiction and, and that is not the reason that I qualified it was because saying it out loud, like, oh, he's a cop, so he's safe. And like and that's not especially oh, sure. like yeah. currently, that's not really yeah. the thing. But at the same time, like I've consumed a lot of media. Also, yeah. one of my very favorite shows, which is a weird thing to say, but like, I mean, I guess lots of people like this. I love Law and Order SVU like so much. Like and I, um, I I've watched every right. single episode like more than once. Uh, and and that's a show that glorifies cops and like and 
I will say that I, I think it's an interesting thing to look at the way that police are depicted on screen. I think that this is, again, something that's been talked about but like it's an interesting thing to look at the way that police are depicted on screen and like to say this person is a police officer in this movie means that he's safe and he's good um and then the the experience of police police in real life um is is very different and i say that like i'm a i'm a white lady and i uh i have not personally had very bad experiences with cops and in fact i've gotten away with things that i shouldn't have gotten away with uh which i know is because i'm like a white lady but i interacting with um as a clinician, uh, I see the way that a lot of clients uh, with mental illness are treated by police officers. And uh, and I see also that police officers do not make things better very often when mental illness is a component. Um, and and when race and mental illness are a component, it's extra bad. And it's a whole it's a whole thing. And, and, and it's I just I guess saying that out loud in the context of this movie that like, Oh, he's safe because he's a cop just made me really kind of like in that moment, reflect on the fact of like fictional police officers versus like real police officers. Um, because I would not have the same thought about a police officer that I met, uh, in real life, just, just knowing what actually police are, but versus what they're supposed to be in the fictional world of this movie. It sounds like he's, he's someone who traveled from Arizona, uh, to track down, like his the car right that's the whole thing that like he he came he was somebody who was following yeah. jimmy angelove and he like followed like came all the way to track down his car and to like ask questions which like how often do people do that that's like maybe the fbi does that but like i don't know if that's like police don't like often leave their jurisdiction but i mean you know the, the cop thing is definitely also like just in our society and in our media is just it is a shorthand right like so what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to, if you need a character who's going to be good, here's your shorthand. This guy's a cop, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and it makes sense too with the murder plot and stuff. And like, I, I, I kind of get lost in this movie, like when he's introduced, like it kind of, this is the point where it kind of loses me okay. where I'm like, okay, now this film becomes, it's not really so much a tonal shift is the genre shift and i kind of understand this criticism where like it kind of becomes like this um police procedural here um but it quickly it quickly goes back to being you know about magic and about the relationship between the sisters of course um but these 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 fleeting moments where we're introduced to gary and and um you know he's doing some some investigating in town and stuff i'm just like what like didn't we just I, i just it was it was a weird focus I felt like um, for the film to take, and maybe it makes more sense in the book. Maybe there's like some connective tissue in the book. I don't know. The, I I think um, the the structural problem here is it 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 pops up in a lot of adaptations of books. It's like I I think there was a lot of stuff in the book, and actually Amanda, when you finish the book, you could you could fill <laughs> yeah, let us know. Okay. <laughs> but but it 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 feels like um there was other stuff that was kind of pared away yeah. to make it a feature length film um but of course you can't like leave out the love interest because like he's such a big part of of Sally's oh, for sure. arc yeah um so it, it almost feels like between the 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 killing and the, and the burying of Angelo um or what, what the fuck's his Angelo, name Angelo you were so um, close Jimmy yeah. Angelo yeah, yeah. Angelo you're really close <laughs> yeah. So like but between the killing and the burial of him and then to the introduction of cop like it seems like there would at least be more connective tissue there that would make it feel more of like a a longer arc 
rather than kind of like two arcs that are shoved together. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, it just feels like there was there's stuff that's left out, like intervening stuff. I I agree with you, and I also don't because for me, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't seem weird to me that like they do a thing that's a very big deal thing, which is killing a person twice. Um, yeah. And then it, it makes sense that there would be a consequence for that. Like, I guess, um, yeah, I understand the, like what you're saying with the tonal shift. I understand. And actually, the tonal shift that I would say is not as much of a procedural as like a love interest is introduced. And like now there's like yeah, the whole scene true. where like she can't lie to him. Sandra Bullock can't lie to him. And so she's employing her like Sandra Bullock charming, like kind of like, you know, clumsy, weird stuff that she does. Uh, and that feels very romantic comedy to me in that moment. Um, but I guess, I, I don't know, just like, and even even the way that the sisters like plan to interact with him, like like uh, Jillian talks about like, or she says something like, uh, she, she basically like plans to seduce him and like comes down and like is like, looks super hot and like is going to answer his <laughs> questions and like distract him yes. with like her flirting and stuff like that. And even that, like, I guess... To me, I understand the logic of, like, now there is a consequence for your big, big action, your big, big mistake, uh, which, like, was justified. I think, I mean, and, and you know, I think that you could play it out in real life to, to say that it was justified if you, like, poisoned somebody who you thought was going to kill you, um, and especially if it was an accident. Yeah. Like, I think that, like, but then they don't say, this is, like, a, a thing I think that's a common trope in film and television where, like, um, maybe it would have been okay if they just, like, admitted to it right away but they tried to cover it up and so now there's like a consequence you know and now it like it gets worse and now they have to lie um so this part of it like i guess i I think the thing of it that seems weird is like that it's a a man who is supposed to be an important character is introduced at this point but if he was just a random police officer i don't think i would think it was weird you know what this feels like this feels like a two-part pilot to a series not one movie Hmm. if you it that's a good point, and also there yeah, were several series like, that like were supposed first, to come first, from this. Like I think. Or did you see that information? Oh, really? yeah. yeah, I did. I did see that on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were they were going to make, um, I think, a prequel TV yes. show. Well, there was a prequel book like, by Alice Hoffman. The yeah, there's a prequel book that she wrote later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I saw, yeah, I saw a couple things that I think there were two different television shows that were like planned to be. Uh, coming from this this yeah. world and this set of characters in some in some way, but I think you're right. I think that uh, there is a shift at this point. But I I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't quite bother me. I think the bo- the thing that bothers me is that he's a love interest. If he wasn't a love interest, I don't think I would care. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's yeah. probably it as well for me. Um, the introduction of a character this late should be fine, I think. But the 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 importance of that character. Um, maybe is is what kind of bothers me, um, because they have to do so much of that character work in you know a truncated time frame, um, and then do and then do so much else as well because it's not just okay now this is the main focus it's still the focus um, there's still a focus on the relationship between the the, the sisters 
Um, there's a relationship between the, you know, the, the two daughters and Sandra Bullock. There's, of course, the relationship with the aunts. And then, of course, on top of that is the relationship with the townsfolk. Yeah, um, yes, which so I'm I think excited I just, to talk about. Yeah. There's like so much being crammed in into that last half hour that I yeah. think maybe that's the pro- – it's, 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 it's a structural problem, I think, really. You know, and, it's, and I think it's something that the screenwriter, I'm sure – really had to just, I mean, hunker down and try and figure out. And this was the best that they could come up with. Probably the best that anybody could, honestly, because it's a lot. It's a lot to cram in there. It was three screenwriters. Oh, yeah, 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 which yeah. I I, I thought was notable because I feel like that would, uh, I don't know, just like collaborating is hard. Um, yeah. And and I feel like that leads, that can that can mean a disjointedness. It can also, it can mean, I think that you can like partner up with people and like do better work and do, you know, more sure. work uh, with, with more people. But at the same time, I, I, I would think also adapting something with three different people would be challenging because three people are going to read the same work and find different things important. And then like try to like cram things all in together. I think that would be, I think that would be challenging. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I didn't even notice that it was three. I think, this definitely makes sense to me now. Um, and like you yeah. said, an adaptation on top of three screenwriters. Um, and then, you know, it's, it, it seems like it's probably a fairly complicated plot in the book. Even, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different layers of, of storytelling here. Um, so to cram that into 45 minutes, uh, hour 45, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that, and again, I haven't finished the book, but the things that I have, have read about the book and the adaptation is I think that there is, I think that the adaptation needed to, yeah, eliminate a lot from the book and sort of like highlight certain elements of it because, uh, there's a lot sure. in there. I feel like it, it reads again, the beginning of it has a lot of like, um, it feels it feels more like it should be a collection of short stories, kind of, as opposed to like one long narrative gotcha. arc. Like it like there's like all these kind of like vignettes a little bit at the beginning, mm. um, which again are very oh, interesting okay. and kind of like illustrate uh, the world that they live in and like the aunts. Uh, there's like a whole so like at the very beginning of the movie we see that one woman who like uh, is casting a is is coming to them to cast a love spell and she like stabs the dove in the heart. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a much longer yeah. story in the book. Um, and that, and oh, what we okay. see is a very short little thing, but it's, but it's, and it's a longer story in the book in that it has more detail, but it's not actually like a super long, like chunk, but it's at the same time, it feels like the book is more of a collection of vignettes that illustrate kind of a, a, a concept or a, a feeling rather than like this, a movie, which kind of tends to be like a, a you know, a much have a, a clearer narrative arc. Um, which is again the difference of like yeah. writing a book and, versus versus a film. Oh, definitely. It would be really cool to see a series um, in each episode is kind of intercut between the sisters as adults and as kids. I think I think you're um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. I don't know. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, that would just be a cool yeah. idea. I like these characters. Um, I wish that people would do more. With so them. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're cool. They're they're really likable. Um, both of them. And um, so, so where were we in the Sorry. plot? Um, the end, um, more, we well, were, more or we less. Were at, we were at. Uh, um, Gary shows up. He suspects. Um, he suspects the sisters. They try to be nice um, in different ways. Jillian tries to um, awk- like clumsily seduce him, but Sally is just like really, really attractive, but like more, more in a mutual kind of equal playing field 
kind of way. Um, uh, he does cook. Um, yeah, he like he, so he then he, <laughs> he makes ca- cactus. Yeah, flapjacks. so he like goes around and like asks questions about them in the town. So like that's a thing too that like he starts to like go around and right. like ask um, questions, and so then he hears all of the rumors about the Owens family and like all of right. the terrible things that they do, uh, and then. Sally is like, oh, my God, just, like, ask us questions and, like, you know, whatever. And so she invites him over for breakfast. Um, and then he's like, cool, I will come for breakfast. And then he comes over. And then Jillian is making a banishing spell that she's going to put in syrup. And the daughters are in on it, even though they're not supposed to be. So we see her being, like, the cool aunt, which is, like, real fun. And then uh, he comes over for breakfast. And then we see him, like, flip pancakes. And that's also when the girls, I believe, find the list of, like, qualities uh, that Sally had written down when she was a child about like who she wanted in a partner, yes. and it was like ride a pony backwards, one green eye and one blue can flip pancakes. Favorite shape is a star, whatever. I'm impressed that I remembered all like four of those. I'm sure there are more too. <laughs> and then, um, and so then, uh, yeah. So then this this breakfast happens. He comes over and he makes pancakes in the shape of saguaro cactuses uh because he's from arizona and then he flips them in the air and then the girls make the connection that he has all the qualities that are on the list uh that sally has made and jillian is trying to get them to put syrup on the pancakes so that he can have it and, and consume the banishing spell uh but then they instead dump mm-hmm. it out and then they don't that yeah. was very and that was a very cute yeah. thing too like the way that it was just such a little kid thing. They're like, ah, I've got the syrup. And they yeah. grab it and they just <laughs> run to the ocean. Yeah. The ocean. <laughs> they throw it to the water. It's funny. And, that, and they're like, yeah. yay, when they throw it in. That was another one that, like, I didn't really understand when I was a kid. Like, I didn't really get what was happening. Because I guess maybe when I was a child, I didn't really listen to dialogue. Maybe that's what it, what it was. I, like, wasn't paying attention. But then I also now, as an adult, think yes. it's interesting that, like, the girls who were very young would have – um, mm. like want their mother to meet somebody new and find somebody new when they had recently lost right. their own father. I think it implies like a sort of like old soul kind of quality to them, which like doesn't necessarily yes. It, it makes yes. sense, I guess, if they're witches that they would sort of have that kind of perspective. But like, I guess that was interesting too to be like, oh yeah, I guess if I were, because like if, if there are lots of kids that like if their mom was like gonna fall in love with somebody after like their dad had recently died, they'd be like, yeah, put the banishing cream like all over his fucking pancakes, like get this guy out of here. Um, and so that was like also interesting mm-hmm. to like look at, mostly from a therapist perspective, less like from a movie watcher perspective. But well, no, I, I, I got that same idea too. Like they, it, it doesn't show like that they they don't miss their their own father but like they're they're open to their mother finding yeah. more happiness and that that implies right. that they're they're more mature to a degree um in in within the within the context of the movie because they're yes witches. yeah and i think yeah. that that's the whole thing too with like when kylie oh that's another thing i don't know if this has happened yet but like kylie evan rachel wood uh discusses like a man in the roses i want to say in the roses um mm-hmm. and it's and we see yeah, like yeah. through the window um the actor who's playing Jimmy Angelov like in the roses and we understand that like she's seeing him as a ghost but no one else can see can see him like she's the only one who can see him oh, and that's also yeah, yeah. a witch mm-hmm. quality yeah um but we also get like a whole idea from her that she's kind of like special and like otherworldly um yeah and like gifted in a way Kylie yeah yeah um so 
Gary's like all he, especially with the syrup thing. He his his alarm bells are going off. Um, he also finds a ring yes. that belonged to Angelo. Yes. Um, so it comes out of a frog, right? Uh, a frog, frog. Yeah. had swallowed it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the frog just the frog just throws it up, and he finds it, and he's like, "Yeah, you should get a lawyer." And he yeah. takes yep. off. And the ring is the ring um, that he and used then to Sally brand people. Chases him down. Yeah, yeah, the skull yeah, ring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Sally chases him down, and she she spills everything to him. Um, she or she keeps trying to, and he keeps being like, "No, you you really should get a lawyer. This is like very stupid on your part." Um, but she doesn't care about that, and they they kiss in his motel room. They almost bone. But then she yeah. leaves. Right. Real close. Yeah. Um, and when she gets back home, oh yeah, yeah, she gets back home, and the, this is like kind of the the the, the climax of is yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. she yeah, they don't have sex because she feels something wrong with Jillian. Her, yeah. Yes. Using their the psychic, psychic connection thing, witch power connection. We we do get a cool shot of um when she gets to the base of the stairs inside the house. Uh, her daughters are running down the spiral staircase and the camera is turning counterclockwise as it goes down the middle of the staircase. Right, right. It was just a very, like, very innovative and probably labor-intensive shot to do. Yeah. I appreciate well, it. Well, we got something similar to when, like, the when they're making the tequila as well, the mi- the midnight margaritas. Like, the uh, the camera goes up the staircase as it spirals. A- right, as, right, right. As oh. the mixer, the blender is spiraling the camera nice. yeah. yes yes yeah. yes so they did that shot a few times in kind of in in opposite order and it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. um and then of course angela is back as a as a as a spirit evil spirit yeah. he's trying to possess jillian um and he she's thrashing about he does yeah he does possess full-on full-on exorcist status um he does manifest briefly outside of her body as a, as like a poltergeist type thing yeah um and gary shows up again right it's and, convenient um, that it, it, he it's actually, sees that happen yeah yeah no, no 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 you're right it's just like he shows up and he the skeptic all, all of his doubts are dispelled yeah. um and he points a gun at a ghost as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh and he we it's kind of like it's a kind of a cheap effect but it it it's shockingly effective they they just make angela of black and yeah. white yeah 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 um, I I was also struck by this. So like, just yeah, they make him black and white. I also I feel like he's. I felt like there was a CGI some kind of. Quali- it wasn't like he was he was there and like painted black and white. Like there was a computer quality, but it it wasn't like a distracting ugly thing. Like I kind of I didn't hate it. Like it it still exactly. it felt like it felt like emblematic of the time. Like it didn't feel like a super sophisticated like um, effect necessarily. But at the same time, I I. Yeah liked yeah. it like i didn't think it was bad this yeah. is also no, this yeah. end part no, i wasn't will say too distracting is, honestly no yeah the end part i will say is like where i'm a little bit less uh 100 committed i like this like the end part is a little bit like i'm this is where i'm starting to kind of i'll be more critical <laughs> but the uh beginning i because the beginning <laughs> i really really like but then this is where it kind of starts to like fall off just a teensy bit for me uh yeah but i, I won't say that that's part of why like i think that that's when it starts to get a little fantastical in a way that I like less, but I don't think that the visual effect is the reason I like it less. Th- this is where it starts to get a little, um, what is it like a, a CW kind of t- yeah, superhero yeah. show? Yeah, it um, feels a little, it feels cheesy. A it, little it has cheesy. that effect a little bit. Yeah. 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 So th- um, this is when 
Yeah, so she's being possessed by Angelove, and they have to do an exorcism, basically. Um, the aunts come back. You need like nine. Yeah, the aunts yes. come back, and they're like, "Hey, you gotta, we gotta do this exorcism, but you need like nine witches." And they're like, "Well, we don't know that many people, but aha, the phone Sally's tree was put at the top of oh, the yeah. phone tree." And we didn't even mention Ch- that Chekhov's she was the reason that she got placed at the top of the phone tree because Jillian like made it so oh, like, yeah, cast Jillian a spell. Did magic. That was a really fun. Yep. Oh yeah, scene. she she did a yeah. spell where yeah, she like shows funny. up in a spaghetti She's strap just, like, top the, to the a school. Woman's, like, flipping like, the pages normal. and it keeps saying yeah. Sally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The spaghetti strap. I was I was this time when I was watching it. I was like marveling at like how many spaghetti straps are worn, just like in public, no cardigan, no nothing, because like. That was kind of normal for a period. It was like high fashion, and now it feels like you are nude. You are wearing a camisole. Like you are not like a person wearing a shirt. It's yeah. like a different thing. Um, but yeah. But anyway, yeah. So Sally is at the top of the phone tree. So she calls all these people, and this is a part that I I really enjoyed now as an adult because like the thing that she says, she like confesses to everyone. She says like, "Hey, you're right. Like I'm a witch. All of the things you've been saying forever." are true and like and now i need your help and it reminded me so much of like brene brown you know brene brown the uh she's a she's a speaker but like an author and a researcher and she did this whole book about shame her first like big book i i believe it was her first one was about shame Mm -hmm. research uh and uh the biggest thing that dispels shame is like sharing and connecting with other people because shame is something we inherently feel like alone. Like we feel like we're the only one who have like whatever problem it is. And like, and this movie, uh, in a lot of ways is like about like this, this family's shame of like feeling like I am, I'm different and I'm bad because I'm a witch and like, I don't want to do these things because I want to be like everyone else, but everyone else already thinks these things about me. And, uh, and it's just like this huge burden. And then we see at the end, uh, Sally is able to have this huge community because she's like honest with people and that dispels this feeling of, yeah. of shame and it, and it invites people into her life. And I just, I, I really liked that part, right? Now. Like when I was watching this, I, I really was like, yeah, that's a really good idea, Sally. Like I was like so excited um, because it just is like, that's the right answer. Like, yeah, ask your, you have a community of people right there and that's good. And what I liked about this from a thematic perspective, um, it, it is the counterspell to the curse that affected yeah. the Owens family at the beginning. Because the, like, 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 a, like I, mean, I mean, magic is like a system of, counterspell is like, if we interpret magic as like a system of social relations, as like so- social alchemy. And like, because what caused their curse that prevents them from not only finding love with men, but also from like integrating to society. But it's, it's the hatred, um, not unjustified, but the hatred and alienation they feel, right? Um, which which twisted their magic and made it bad. But um, by reaching out to people and, and being honest and, and overcoming that shame, that is all that was needed to undo uh, the original curse. So it, it just t- it yeah. ties up nicely. It's a very it's yes, yeah. and it's uh, and it's also too thinking about witchcraft, like the history of witchcraft, or like or the persecution of witches rather uh, is also a lot about like ostracization in society and like not conforming to like what everyone else is doing Um, and how nice it is that this movie like depicts like you can like when you're like you can you can still be a part of it you can like believe whatever you believe but then also still be a part of society I think that was I just like really liked this part I really enjoyed it and again uh, like it was a lot of women on screen like a lot of women like came together on screen to like do a thing uh, to support 
another woman, which even uh, the context of this movie is like through witchcraft and whatever. But I also felt like was kind of a lovely depiction of the way that throughout history, I think women have like showed up for one another, um, uh, you know, especially when it's not like celebrated or when you have to like do hard work or do terrible things or whatever like you can like women show up for each other like I thought that was like a lovely depiction of community and I I really liked this and it resonated in a different way than when I was a kid but also we got to see Margot Martindale like be really fun and uh I like that too (laughs) yes yeah she's great in this scene um I also like how they use the brooms um they use it to form the circle oh, and to yeah, form a ward right. to Shep. And then they also use the brooms to clean up after he gets exercised and they have to get rid of, they have to, they have to literally clean house. Um, so that, that, that was cute. Like the, Oh, which is using brooms, but they don't fly on them. They, they do them to cast a spell and then to clean up after themselves. It was, it was like a nice little cute little touch. touch which there. I think also to uh, say yeah, they, they too is, I think is uh, reflective of the way that like brooms have been like symbolically used in actual witchcraft like i i mean i know that the witch that was like hired to consult in this movie was like was you know was not great but like uh but i think also like the the broom there's like there's an idea of like ceremonial brooms being used to like cleanse a space to cleanse like uh energy to cleanse like all these kind of things that like it's not necessarily about flying and the whole thing about flying is like I don't know. I read something once saying that it was like a lot to do with um, drugs. Like they were taking psychedelic drugs as part of like or like as part of spells and things like that. And uh, and it was oh. not about like actually hmm. literally flying on broomsticks, but whatever. That's also like a conjecture, like historical conjecture. But like, uh, but the brooms, I think, yeah, yeah. but still have like a like a, a significance symbolically as like a, a cleansing thing. Um, I don't think that that's. I think that that's like accurate. Is what I'm 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 meaning to say. Interesting. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, where are we? So they're the movie, that's they're all in the circle. Yeah, it's so kind like of it. The thing that I didn't the the when I was watching this, the thing that I didn't love. So like they're all in the circle. They're all doing the thing. I thought that was fine. Um, there was like this one moment yeah. where there's like a bright white light on the screen, like where they like are kind of like they actually like oh, exercise sure. his body, and that that part looked super cheesy to me. Like there was a part of it that like looked like. Yeah vaguely tv movie almost or like television show like it didn't look yeah um the way i wanted it to look and like because i feel again i earnestly really like this movie i think that the whole beginning of it like rings true uh and the end was the part that felt like fantastical and kind of like silly to me um and that was again some of the criticism that i read was that it was like too scary for children but too silly for adults and this was like the time that it felt like maybe true that it was a little like silly um but at the same time the whole like point of it i think i i I didn't i did not resonate with the visuals maybe but the point of it was that like the sisters and their relationship was stronger than the hold that this man had on jillian which i thought was i liked um and also reminds me of why i like the movie frozen of all of the uh disney movies because it's like a, a story about like sisters loving each other rather than like either one of them falling in love with a man which is like very nice um but yeah but I, I I I sort of I liked some parts of this and I didn't I don't necessarily like the way it was done if that makes sense you know yeah and, and I think that again kind of speaks to the um yeah just the the screenwriting and 
you know, truncating this book and, um, you know, these three screenwriters, screen, three screenwriters kind of contending with each other's perspectives and, and ways of adapting. Um, so, you know, who knows what that looks like, who that, what that scene looks like in the book. Uh, n- yeah. no, none of us know what that scene looks nope, like in the book because you haven't gotten that far. I'm so. going to, I'll finish it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree. I think like the, it's the, the thematic resonance is there. Um, but that execution could be different. Um, and that's that's kind of how I feel about like the whole third act, really. Um, like I, I get what it's trying to convey and I think it conveys it pretty well. Um, but yeah, just a few more tweaks here and there and like it would be perfect for me. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it wraps up. Everyone's happy. Um, Jillian is living back at the house again. Um, Sally and Mark. What's this? Gary. Gary, not Mark. Mark. Who the hell's Mark? I don't know. You made that one uh, up. So <laughs> Sally and Gary are are a couple together. Um, and the the daughters are learning witchcraft and everything, and everyone's happy. Uh, they come out on Halloween. They're wearing witch getup, and they they give a show to the trick or treaters. And Sally and Gary kiss, and all's well that ends well. Yeah, and I think we really understand that. Like this this chapter with. Angela is just a chapter in the whole like larger story. Um, but the story is really about like the women yeah. kind of like finding a place yeah. in the community and like solidifying their relationship with one another, which again is a reason why I like this movie because like this bad guy is just like one little tiny part and not the whole thing, which I think yeah. is nice. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I guess like the, the thing that kind of bothers me is that it becomes um, such a focus of the last third of the film. Um, I get it, like, like, like you just said, like it kind of they have to go through all these things so then they can, you know, have this relationship with the rest of the community and each other. So like it makes sense, but again, for the movie, like it does take up a big portion of the film, whereas perhaps it doesn't take up the a big portion of the book in the same way. Um, so. I will report back once I. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, no, please do. I mean, reach out to us. I, I would certainly be interested to know the difference. It's an um, inter- It's interesting. So I'm looking at the screenwriters. I think there's three of them, and I think they are all no one. So one woman, uh, Robin Swickard, uh, Akiva Goldsman, and Adam Brooks adapted this screenplay. Akiva Goldsman sounds very familiar. Who He's is a producer and screenwriter. Um. Batman, I think Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Oh, those yes. are the bad ones. Yes, those yes, aren't yes. the good ones. I am Legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, th- those are the ones that are. Yeah, it's, it's Val Kilmer and George Clooney. I, I find interesting. I mean, I like them because I was yeah. a child when they came out, yeah. and I really like Poison Ivy. Um, I don't think I really, I don't yeah, think I yeah, have yeah, positive yeah. things necessarily to say about the Val Kilmer one. It's that that's the Riddler though. And the Riddler was good, but the, I really so, like yeah, the it's first. Yeah, the Riddler and Two Face. Yes, I really like yeah. the first two. I I grouped together those. There are four Batman movies that I grouped together, like Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. I grouped them together because like I think they came out kind of in like the right in the same like close enough in my mind that they feel similar. But the first two, the Tim Burton ones, oh, yeah. are important to me, and the the second two are like are very different, less good. Yeah. But the first two are genuinely very good, and I dressed up as Catwoman. Oh, I mean, for yeah, they're Halloween not. And, Oh hell yeah! Nice. As a kindergartner, no, but um, yeah, re- returns of of those of those four, I think um, Batman Returns is my favorite one. I, I think just yeah, that's the one with p- the penguin. I mean, d- 
DeVito as yeah, as a penguin. it's incredible. That movie yeah. is incredible. Yeah, I like that movie. I I recently had a similar conversation with somebody else, and I cannot remember why, but I I really like those movies, and I want to rewatch them, but just the first two and the the second two are like not as good. Yeah, they're just not. And they're different. Whatever makes sense. Well, when we when we do Batman Forever, um, we'll have yeah, we'll have I you back on for Batman so Forever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Batman Forever is um, actually hard to watch. I remember I tried rewatching it um, in the last five years. So I was like, let me try, and I was like, oh, this movie's not <laughs> no, good. Uh, I, I can't even <laughs> defend this. I can't, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I can't wait to watch it. So yeah, that uh, that's that's the film, folks. Um, we have our uh, workers of note here. Uh, I want to highlight Elizabeth Kling, the editor. I actually think this film is really well edited um, for all of the kind of, you know, structural screenplay issues. um, I think Elizabeth Kling was able to put it all together in a really interesting way. Um, And just like each scene, you know, on its own tells a really good, you know, little story and, um, you know, those those stories are told with images, folks, because uh, these are films. And uh, you have to put them in the right sequence. The magic of cinema. The magic of cinema. The practical magic of cinema. Um, yeah, I just think Elizabeth Kling does a great job. Um, I want to say really quickly that, or just, this isn't super relevant, but like I recently, I'm... Uh, I'm going to like transition out of not editing my podcast anymore. And like, it makes me realize how much the editor really truly does. Like I think editors and I, I, I think it's weird that mm-hmm. we don't know more editors names, I guess, uh, for films. Yeah, because I agree. Cause like yeah. my, perf- I, I'm a, I'm the Definitely. host and I, so I like perform the stories and then like as the editor, I pick the best takes or what I think are the best takes. So it's like fully mine, sure. but now I'm giving that opportunity to like somebody else and like their favorite takes might not be oh, mine. Okay. And yeah, like, yeah. and it feels, um, it, I, True. I feel less yeah. confident about my performance because somebody else is taking the reins and it just makes me really, ref- it's had recently has made me really reflect on like how, um, this is just how it is in the world. Like a lot of people don't get to edit their own performances. Like that's not normal. And, uh, and the editor is really in charge of a lot of stuff. So like, yeah, I fully support Elizabeth Kling, uh, three cheers. Cause I do think this movie is good. I think the performances are all good, which means that she chose the right takes. I don't know. I mean, I guess there's probably like more oh, that yeah, goes exactly. into it For than sure. that, but still yeah. like, I think, I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, it depends like how involved Griffin Dunn was in, in post-production um i really don't know much about um you know how he is as as a director i mean it's it's just kind of wild to me that griffin dunn made this movie to begin with um so for folks out there griffin dunn is uh the best friend in american werewolf in london who gets killed and comes back as a zombie um and then he's in the martin scorsese film after hours he's the main character who has terrible things happen to him one night when he's walking the streets of new york um, and then, yeah, he became a director. And this is his second movie, which I also think is insane um, because it's like so confidently directed. Um, I just feel like he gets incredible performances out of everybody. He he works really well with the cinematographer whose last name is also Dunn, but they're not related. Uh, it's spelled <laughs> D-U-N-N and his name is spelled D-U-N-N-E. Uh, Andrew Dunn, the cinematographer. Uh, yeah, I think they just everybody works really well together in this movie. Like it's it is you know of course film is a truly collaborative medium, but I don't know. I just think, I think it all like it, 
there's some shots where I'm like, this wouldn't work in a different movie. Like some things just like should take you out of it. Like for instance, those shots up and down the stairs, you know, with this camera spinning right. and twirling and it kind of would be show offy in another movie, but like it just fits so well in this film. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just, um, and editing is, you know, a, a big part of that, that people don't know. There's the above the line stuff. People know producers, people know, directors people know actors but yeah uh editors should uh should be given uh you know more praise i mean of course there's like a fucking academy award for them they get one but you know yeah, they don't, but, you yeah. don't really know oh that's my favorite editor <laughs> right yeah um what other workers of note here oh this is a good one but you this is yours lewis you should do yeah. it <laughs> fred newman uh frog sounds that's all imdb <laughs> said Frog sounds. Do you think? I bet it's Amazing. the frog that throws up the ring. Yeah, it has to be. Um, yeah. I wonder. I, I don't even know what it, that means. I don't know if this man makes frog sounds himself. Um, if he records frog sounds, I have no idea. But Fred Newman, thank you for the frog sounds. Um, also, one that I found. Yes. Um, <laughs> one of one of the very first names that pops up in the in the closing credits was Michael Moore, second unit director. But it's, it's not, not the same him. Michael I looked Moore. it up. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> Would be, that would be wild. I know. That would it's be crazy because, like, by was... this time he's made a few of his films, and he's fairly yeah, like, like I... well known at this time. And I thought, like, maybe you know, he was between other right. film, like his films, and he was just looking, you know, a project to to yeah, add to his resume or just for a paycheck nope. or whatever. But no, just a dude him, named no. Michael Moore, who's does who yeah. did not make Bowling for Columbine. Yeah, this guy's name is Michael J. Moore actually, but he was credited uh, as Michael Moore in the credits. I wonder if they did that yeah. intentionally. They're like, yeah, let's fuck with them all. They didn't know. There's no. There's no way. They're like, let's fuck with the audience. They think, <laughs> they'll think Michael Moore did second union directing on this film. Let's fuck with lefty podcasters that'll come on in 30, <laughs> 30 years, to, <laughs> twenty-five years to do this. Um, and uh, just uh, our. Close, closing recommendations here uh, that we do at the end. Um, our broke, rec- broke, woke, and bespoke recommendation. Um, for my broke recommendation, um, kind of tapping into what I said at the beginning. Um, if you're looking for an example of a movie where a more successful woman um, just marries some like you know nice guy but le- less professionally successful, and then he's kind of killed off, and then she moves on to more romance. Um, that is usually gender flipped in fiction. I feel this is like one of the few um, inversions of that in terms of the the gender roles that I can even think of. So uh, just n- nice, nice little, nice little um, flip of of the of that typical dynamic. Right. Yeah. Because usually, yeah, the the wife dies, and then the man has to go on to find love and blah blah blah, and yeah. Yeah, or just just like disposable woman in refrigerators right, trope, kind right, of thing. for sure. Um, yeah, so our woke recommendation is for all you witches, pagans, and magicians in training out there. Um, speaks for itself, you know. If you were listening to this episode, I think you understand uh, why this would be for you. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, I think I I I I wrote that just because like it, it emphasizes the social aspect of, of these cultures, like the 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 communal the aspect, aspect of them. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I I also coven. I think yeah. I think too. Um, you know, well, I grew up so I grew up watching this movie, and there were lots of like the craft was another movie that was like popular when I was a child, and then there's other oh, yeah. like Charmed. Sure. There's other things like, and I and again, and reading articles about this, I I uh, 
there was like a, a thing about witches in the in the 90s slash like early 2000s uh, that like dissipated and then has kind of come back. But uh, but I feel like I, I cared a lot about witchy things when I was a child. And then like later I had a whole like witch phase as an adult um, and which I feel like moderately embarrassed about, but only moderately. And um, <laughs> but I will say, too, that like nothing about this movie, like rewatching it uh, conflicted a whole lot with my research like I don't think this is something like like or or the books that I read during my my adult witchy phase like nothing like I do think that like the witch consultant and like the even the impetus that required that they hire a witch consultant in the first place like the sort of like wanting to create something that was uh not nasty or not um inaccurate I feel like I feel like they I feel like they did kind of a nice job with this so i i don't even i think that that is a, a solid recommendation that like i think that um i think you could you could see yourself reflected in this movie even if you are a person who fully believes in and practices like wicca or or paganism or or those things i think that i don't think that this movie yeah. is um exclusionary in any way and i could be wrong because i'm you know yeah and even if you don't believe or um, buy into these things um like i like i made this recommendation i wrote this down like coming from an agnostic atheist kind of like hardline skeptical pers- uh, position because i i do think regardless of your feelings on it there is value to these um to these belief systems and these belief structures and um specifically with specifically with kind of like the pagan witchy side like um i i do think it's interesting that you you said that like there was this like surge of it in the 90s and then it kind of died down and it's bubbling up again and i think um it provided an outlet in some kind of community for a lot of um not not just like uh girls who grew up to be women but just other types of like queer and marginalized um gender identities and and sexualities like it provided the space and um i don't want that to come off as too condescending like oh it's this cute thing for for the for the weirdos that i don't believe in but um that it it did provide this um communal social like glue yeah in a way that more more patriarchal yes. spiritualities like right. Catholicism don't. So I, I agree with you. And I also, uh, again, um, I feel like I've referenced articles many times during this uh, podcast. But another article that I, I read sort of like tangentially related to this was about um, the rise in a, like astrological interest uh, among like millennial oh, people yeah, sure, especially yeah. women and um and which which feels related to this this film for me in a lot of ways and like because again this is the generation of women like we Definitely. we i i'm a i'm a millennial woman and like uh i grew up watching this movie and then like i have have looked to astrology later on just sort of for fun but like it's also but i read this whole article about how it's there's like a big popularity to it and it has a lot to do with the decline of organized religion um like you were just saying and also like uh yeah if there's not a place for you in in these traditional religions that people have been practicing for a very long time then you're going to look elsewhere and then also because we are currently living Mm -hmm. in very uncertain times um and actually uh, yeah we're currently living very uncertain times and those are the times when people seek uh, belief in something something larger or something else and like look to spirituality for a sense of comfort and actually in this article that I read it was in the New Yorker uh, said that the first like uh, article about uh, astrology was published uh, in a British newspaper in 1930 which is when there was like a huge 
economic collapse and like not just in the United States but also the world and that was an interesting mm. thing and then like yeah. uh, astrology right. sort of had a marked uptick in interest in 2008 which and there was another economic collapse and then uh, and then since 2016 when obviously yeah. we had a terrible election that like changed uh, the way that this country is like running and whatever uh, again people have really been like there's been even more interest in astrology as uh, demonstrated with like the rise in astrology apps and like there's lots of other things that have like sure. marked it like in a quantitative way but it's it's these times when there's like a lot of uncertainty that people yeah. seek certainty in astrology slash like witchcraft kind of provides that and they also provide context for like oh these things might be happening because like oh this planet is moving here or whatever and it kind of like uh gives you a little distance and makes it feel like oh it's not it's not my fault or it's not like that the world is collapsing it's like this is a cycle and this is like a time and this is a thing um so yeah i think this movie feels i i, I think this movie doesn't it feels like in keeping with kind of, again, because it isn't something, it isn't like silly about witch, witchy stuff. Like it feels like it takes it seriously and it feels like uh, it's represented well. Like I think that, um, like I think that this, this movie speaks to the people who maybe kind of like take solace in these practices. And also like it's, it feels like there are a lot of us and maybe that's why it's a cult classic. That's how I wrap that up. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah. I think that's an accurate yeah. assessment. Um, and crucially, the um, the communal and generational yeah. um, aspects of those, and it it, it places great. Yeah, that whole thing those. of like I'm calling everyone and I'm telling them like you're right, I'm a witch. Like, please come over and help me. Like that that community piece of it is so freeing and so uh, excellent. And I really that was something that really resonated this this time, particularly watching it. And then th and then this stupid thing that we have next. <laughs> That my, I wrote. My, bespoke <laughs> my bespoke recommendation is for all you mess holes out there. I know there's a few of you from back home um, listening yeah. to the show. Um, one of our hosts is currently in Massachusetts yep. listening to the show or per speaking on the show. Uh, but yeah, no, um, this movie has uniquely Massachusetts energy despite being filmed on the West Coast. Um, that's as succinctly as I can put it. Um, you, you have your kind of Halloween Massachusetts classics. Um, like a uh, hocus pocus is one of them filmed in filmed in uh, salem uh, the 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 recently released um hubie oh, yeah, Adam Sandler yeah. movies. i haven't yeah, watched that yet but it's in, i really yeah. want to see that yeah it's in, that was filmed <laughs> in salem too i think i think it i think it, it was place, oh, you're right. but yeah yeah parts of it anyway no it's yeah. filmed it's, it's oh, definitely it? filmed okay there. um like we said at the beginning, it visibly does not take place in Massachusetts, but it palpably and spiritually takes place yeah. there. Yeah, um, I think I also think that this might be almo what, almost almost like they cast a spell. Yeah, I feel like I also feel like this might be what people who don't live in Massachusetts think Massachusetts can look like. Like, because all of the like again, I like the cliff stuff. Like, I feel like people think of it as being like rocky and like yeah. all those things, and it's not not bad. It's just like. It's that in a different way. But, like, I don't – I feel like if you're not, not from Massachusetts, exactly. you could look at it's, this and be like, yeah, 100%. Uh-huh. Like, I, I think that – and it feels – yeah, again, the colors, the vibe. Yeah. I agree. I agree with this. The the rock, the rock the rockiness and the cliffs on, like, the shores of New England are more, like, horizontal. They're, They're still so rocky. Like there are many beaches are that are, like, uh, very painful yeah, to walk just, upon. But there's out. yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of height. It's it's a it's a height thing, I think. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's. I was watching. I didn't watch any more than just the pilot of the show, but the Netflix show Lock and Key, which is based on a comic book, it's supposed to take place in Massachusetts, but it's so clear that they filmed it in the Pacific Northwest. And it's the same thing. It's it's yeah. like these really high cliffs. And also the trees and, and, and stuff like that. But it's like, you're so close. You're so close. Yeah. You almost got me. You almost convinced me that this is Massachusetts. Yeah. But then it's, the it's just the clips are not there, guys. Yeah. It's just not, yeah. that doesn't exist. I only spent four years in Massachusetts, and I know that's not true. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was, um, I guess we'll do our plugs here really quickly, and then we can we can toss to you, Amanda, if you want to get yours in. Um, Patreon.com, um, pro underscore con, no spaces. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Proletarian C. Again, no spaces. Uh, Facebook, just search Proletarian Contrarian. And on Instagram, uh, Proletarian dot Contrarian. Proletarian period Contrarian, I should say. Uh, no spaces. Uh, like us, follow us, all that crap. Um, we try to post more lately. Throw us a few bucks on, on become patrons. Throw us a few dollars if you can spare it. Um, but yeah, that's that's yeah. all we have. And I know uh, on Amanda, Instagram we promise you more of Celeste, my cat, and maybe that'll actually happen. Do it. Because we're we're closing in on uh, Halloween. I have a pretty good Do spooky yes. picture that I took from her the other day. Perfect. Yeah. I'm just Perfect. waiting for that one. That'll drop. I'll drop that one on actual Halloween day. But I'll try and I'll have some more in the lead up. Do it. Yeah, that's a good cool. idea. Um. Um, but yeah, Amanda, Amanda do you want to? Yeah. Stuff? Oh, yeah. I don't, don't want to. Uh, my here. name is Amanda Weldon. I'm the host of Stories Podcast, which is a podcast for children, uh, which you might not be a child, and that is fine. But if you have them, you could listen to us. And <laughs> um, we do uh, adapted myths and legends and also original stories with uh, sometimes original songs that I, I write or co write. And, uh, and it's a very fun show. It's very different, though, than this one. Oh yeah, but uh, we we have some listeners. Like I, I just know people who have kids that listen to listen to the show. So we have a good show for kids. Um, and I just I feel I feel really guilty. I think I swore perhaps in this show, and I don't do that on my podcast for children. And it's a scripted <laughs> show, and I do silly voices, and it's, it's just different. I do yeah. different things. I promise. <laughs> I'm a good role model for children. Like outside of this. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that wraps us up. Um, Amanda, thank you so much. Thank this you for was, having me. This was great. You were definitely the best expert to wow. have. No, for sure. Thank you. Very subject matter expert. Wow. Thanks. I you really did like a lot of the movie. research that we never do. So I really appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I like, I like sure. researching things. If you have me back for Batman forever, like you just promised to do, which I'm going to remember, I'm going to also, uh, do it yes. then too. Like I enjoy this and enjoy research and yeah, no, no, um, we would definitely love to have you back on for Batman Forever, um, not least of all because uh, Seal's classic Kiss from a Rose yes. <gasps> for the soundtrack of that movie. That song gets stuck in my head a lot. Like, I don't necessarily hear it playing a lot, but some th- like for whatever reason, sometimes it will just get stuck in my head, like, yep. often. Uh, often. Yeah, banger. you know it's what? Awesome. It's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of music, I'll probably be ending this episode in a few seconds for you listeners with... Uh, either the Stevie Nicks song oh, from this album or, do or this the Faith kiss, Hill song. Do I'm this kiss sure by Faith Hill because the Stevie I'll Nicks song is great. i do this kiss. But yeah. this kiss is like, that's a, that's a song that I know because of this movie and I was singing it for the majority of today and I hope that you do that one. And Stevie Nicks is amazing and I love Stevie Nicks and she was so appropriate to put on the soundtrack for this movie. But also this kiss by Faith Hill, yep. super 1988 classic. Like excellent, excellent choice and I love it. Amazing. Oh yeah, definitely.
All right, folks. I, um, he- hearing that song. <laughs> Sorry. He- hearing th- just really quick. Hearing that song and like watching watching that scene, it just like it gave me like like a Proustian throwback to like sitting in the back seat of oh, my yes. car. Yep. Same. And, like looking looking at the Star Wars action figure that she bought me at yep. Walmart. Just like. Oh, mm. oh yeah. So good. Shit. So good. I know all Definitely. the words. Awesome. Well, um, on that note, uh, here is this kiss, and we will see you next week. Bye, folks. Bye. I don't want another heartbreak, I don't need another turn to cry, no, I don't want to learn the hard way, baby hello, oh no, goodbye, but you got me like a rocket, shooting straight across the sky, it's the way you love me, it's 